Now, Pepsi getting into NFTs. Pepsi mic drop. They're rolling out an NFT collection. And I guess they beat Coke to this. We haven't yeah. seen anything with Coke. On the other hand, I'm a little bit worried with these company, these large corporations and brands entering. Is this kind of a top marker? No, for at least don't the, say it. The PFP? Don't say it. We, the 10K we, we PFP? Can say, we can say a top every single week. It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> there, there is no top. Hey, Bankless Nation. Happy second week of December. David, what time is it? Oh, it is the Friday weekly roll-up time, Ryan, where we roll up the whole entire week in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, especially when you're on the road. Yet, the Bankless Nation does not stop. We must always record the weekly roll-up. So we are you are not the... just on the road, though. You're on the island. How's I'm Puerto on the Rico, island. man? Yeah, Puerto Rico <laughs> is fantastic. Never been. I went when I was six, and I haven't been since, but it is just as lovely as I remember. Okay, so um, like, what's the Puerto Rico crypto scene like? I mean, and what, what part of Puerto Rico are you in right now? Uh, I'm staying in Conde Condado, Condado, which is like the beach side of San Juan, so capital of Puerto Rico. Uh, yesterday, I was in uh, Dorado, which is where a lot of the uh, the perhaps the crypto wealth has ended up uh, on the, the crypto side of uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, I, I also met uh, Joey Krug last night, uh, former oh, really? podcast guest. Yeah, for the first yeah. time. Yeah. How's Joey uh, doing? He's doing great. He's doing great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Puerto Rico, overall a fun time. A, a nice combination of uh, just island vibes with like a burgeoning metropolis uh, kind of uh, kind of which the, you know, uh, it's just got a little bit of everything. Uh, and the internet speeds here are great, which is really important. Okay, I was wondering about that, and I've noticed mm -hmm. your internet speeds are fantastic. Probably better than mine, to be honest, because it doesn't take much. <laughs> okay, guys, that's a low bar, all right? But like, um, hey, any thoughts? Like, I know a lot of people were taught in crypto have mm -hmm. talked about moving to Puerto mm -hmm. Rico. Many actually have. Mm -hmm. um, would you ever do that? I, I would definitely do that. If I hadn't just moved to San Diego and also fallen in <laughs> love with it, like Puerto Rico would be pretty damn high up on the list. It, the the life, life is nice here. I can't complain. Awesome, I can man. see, I can see awesome. why people do it. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, you, you are plugged in uh, to the weekly roll up, which is where you find the best crypto news topics of the week. Three Arrows Capital, David. They just bought <laughs> 400 million in ETH. I guess they I, are now unabandoning ETH. Is that what's happening? Yeah, you know, I've always uh, been a proponent of slow trading. Like people like, oh, people, a lot of people just like chase pumps. And then Three Arrows Capital opened up a short two weeks ago. Yeah. But now man. they're buying. Like, come on, guys. We're going to get into on. that, guys. That's going to be topic of the week. Also, how to protect yourself. There's a Badger Dow hack. You want to know this is a PSA on how to protect yourself. Cardano. Cardano has shills everywhere, it seems. We're going to talk about the and reason why. And we finally why. learned why. Oh my gosh. And it's <laughs> so obvious. I feel like I knew a little bit of this, but we're going to find out more. Also, Sushi Swap, there's some drama this week. OpenSea, IP, nope. Hmm. Pepsi, NFT drop, that just happened. The waitlist opens today as well. So we got a lot to unpack on the roll up. Not a lot of time to do this. David, we're going to consolidate this down to an hour today, aren't we? No. <laughs> I will not be putting my money on that. It's, yeah, don't put your money there, guys. It's never going to happen because there's so much to jam pack. But this is still the fastest way to get updates. David, before we get into it, want to share some information from our friends over at MetaMask. They are sponsoring this message and they want you to know that they are upgrading their hardware wallet experience. David, why don't you tell folks what that means? Oh, so much. Yeah, MetaMask and the combination of MetaMask and Ledger or the hardware wallet has always been clunky, especially in the last year. But they have been teaming up because it's a very hard problem because they don't have Google on board uh, to fix and smooth out some of those clunky clunkiness about that. Uh, so the performance of MetaMask plus Ledger should be a lot uh, significantly improved, but also integrations with other hardware wallets as well, including the Lattice, which we are big fans of. 
and Keystone, a brand new hardware wallet on the scene now, which is an air-gapped QR code-based hardware wallet overall. The power of going bankless while using MetaMask as your portal into DeFi has never been stronger. So uh, go to bankless.cc slash MetaMask, download MetaMask, plug in your hardware wallets, whichever ones are right for you, and get into the world of DeFi. How about one of each hardware wallet? You know, it's not a bad plan either. A little bit of redundancy. I have like four ledgers. I might as well just, you know, collect four of everything else. You know, yeah, redundancy is good. Do you know what? It was funny, David. So uh, earlier this week, I tweeted out, hey, what's the, the silliest thing you've ever purchased in uh in crypto right i got all these responses you know people buying dragon coin 2017 Mm -hmm. such and one guy was like when i first got into crypto i purchased 10 ledgers 10 ledger wallets because i thought you needed a specific ledger for every single ETH address that you spun up (laughs) so we bought 10 of them and uh it was just kind of funny it's like i you know i feel like i might have done that in the early days as well but mm-hmm. of course hardware wallets you can have infinite addresses on mm-hmm. your hardware wallet so you don't need to buy many uh many hardware wallets you just need at least one hardware wallet to protect those private keys uh anyway let's get to the markets man you ready mm-hmm. that's yes absolutely what's bitcoin telling us Bitcoin is down on the week, started at $56,500, hit a low of $46,600, currently is at $48,400 right now. So overall down 15% on the week. Big oof. Big oof. People talking about crab month, crab month December. I don't know if that's what's happening uh, right now, but maybe ETH tells more of a story. What's, uh, What's the weekly look on ETH? Yeah, started the week at $4,500, hit a low of $3,800 on that big dip, which happened on Sunday, I believe. Uh, and then we are currently clocking in at $4,175. Uh, we were we were much higher earlier. Uh, we almost got above $4,500 this week, not quite. Uh, I was getting real bullish, but it looks like we still have exactly what Ryan's saying, which is some consolidation December going on right now, which I think is just perfectly fine. I think everyone should just nice be nice and relaxed for the just holidays. Just relax through the holidays. Don't, you don't want to be checking crypto mm-hmm. prices. Do you remember mm-hmm. you know 2017 where he's like, couldn't even pay attention to anything else? Because- 60 times a day, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> I, I know there's that. a there's a lot of fear out there. I don't think there's anything to be fearful of. Consolidation is good. The the funding rates are really really low, which means not a lot of people are taking leverage, which means there's not a lot of people to liquidate if things go down. I'm I'm just very very happy with where we are right now, and I think January is going to be Does really really cool. Feel healthy. It just it, feels healthy to it me. Feels all balanced. right. Like yes. 2017 was exciting, Ridiculous. but unhealthy. Yeah. Okay, it was just like cramming a bunch of fast food and candy. And then mm-hmm. 2018, it was unhealthy to the other side. Like crypto was dead, 2018, 2019. 2020 was this weird place where it didn't feel healthy, didn't feel unhealthy. It was, I don't know what it was. Right. But right now it feels like just the way it should be. Uh, totally. Do you remember when we had Ben Cowan on the podcast? He, he was like, hey, if crypto really breaks up, uh, breaks out to the upside in December, I'll start to get kind of worried because the cycles are getting longer it's going too fast we need to slow down take a breath before 2022 but all of this feels kind of primed for Mm -hmm. next year to be honest now i'd be happy for a quiet december myself yeah agreed i think the last time we saw really fast movement was last may and we all know what happened then uh we went from ether went from like uh forty three hundred dollars down to seventeen hundred dollars that's what happens when things move too fast so a lot of the the first the uni cyclers the first cyclers are fearful and a lot of the veterans are just very very content 
Uh, and so there is that dichotomy there. So listen to sometimes listen to the veterans. Just be content. We're, we're happy I don't get with the this. fear. I don't get I do, the fear. I, to I be have no fear. Absolutely. Unless no you're fear. looking at this and you're Bitcoin maximalist. This <laughs> 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 is the ETH Bitcoin uh, ratio and it's mm -hmm. doing things. What things is it doing this week, David? Yeah, the ETH, ETH is up 7.5% versus Bitcoin on the week. We uh, started at 0 0.085. We are currently clocking at 0 0.087. Uh, really moving, uh, setting new highs every single day for the last week or so, above and beyond what we set in, in 2020 and 2021. And the number of days that Ether has been higher than Bitcoin has continued to drop is down, I think, below 110 days. And, and every time we go up, is fewer and fewer days. Ether getting close and close to complete, unknown, unpriced uh, 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 price discovery. Uh, it was the word I'm looking for. Price discovery what's, is- What's the number to beat? It's just got to basically, the ratio has to just basically double. Right. I think uh, uh, to, for, the, for the for the yes yeah yeah not but for even the flipping but yeah uh -huh. well for the flipping actually is is pretty damn close to there as well I think if we double in ETH price and Bitcoin stays flat we do flip Bitcoin um, wow yeah yeah so like what? Yeah, the, the short term traders that are looking for just the nice little round number of point one uh, if we can get to point one I think I think the it's game on. What up. are um, like uh, you, you've you've been known to hang in some of these circles a little bit more than than I have, David. But mm -hmm. like, what's the uh, Bitcoin maximalist sentiment right now? Are they just sort of uh, ear you know fingers in their ears, kind of ignoring it, or mm -hmm. is there a little bit of anger, disbelief, maybe I, I, happiness? I think it's a it's a a forced ignoring. Uh, they, okay. the, I think the the silence that I've heard uh, from these sides is just absolutely deafening. When you yeah. when you heard Bitcoiners talking about like the death of Ethereum when it was going down below 0 0.02, people, the Bitcoiners were not shut up about how Bitcoin about Ether was going to absolutely die. Everything's down in Bitcoin terms, and it's been up only since then for the last like almost three years. 2019 was uh, yeah. was the darkest year for mm -hmm. all of that. And there was a lot of that conversation lately. So maybe it's just quiet resignation. Uh, well, gra granted, now all the ETH people are getting really, really, really loud. Yeah, so this could just yeah. be like the inverse, you know, who knows? Humility, humility, folks. Mm -hmm. let's, uh, mm -hmm. let's learn some. DeFi Pulse. No, <laughs> well, I'm talking to both of us, as I do, David. 105 billion in DeFi Pulse, a little bit uh, crabbing as well. So kind of just the sideways flat, yeah. movement, I guess, flat from last week. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about the, uh, the DPI to ETH it's not, index. It's down, it's down, moving on. It's down. Uh, no, actually, no. Let, let me see. Is it down? Um, oh, here yeah, it is. It's, it's down. Look, it's below that red bar, David. Oh come on, dude. <laughs> that was far was forever ago. We know it's been thanks down. To, we, know, to Luke, we know the bottom call was wrong. For adding this into post prod, uh, it's <sighs> never gonna get old. Yeah. Okay, but like, okay. Hey, let me. Can I take the inverse of this? Sure. Because th this is funny to me. But like, I think it's down too low, David. I don't mm -hmm. think this is going to go down to forever. And I think the bleeding against ETH is going to stop and has to stop. Ryan's right? calling the bottom. I'm not. No, Ryan no, no, is no, calling no. the don't bottom. What's mouth, the number? Point zero six eight. Ryan okay, is calling so, the bottom. No, no, no. I'm looking at this. Draw image. the line, see, Luke. See that look on my face? That <laughs> yeah. look of like glee and exuberance or whatever <laughs> uh -huh. that is. That's the kind of look that people get mm -hmm. when something has topped. Or when something sure. has bottomed, right? Sure. I'm not right. saying it's like, I I actually don't really care Brian, too much Brian about this ratio. Brian has called the bottom. Attention, I'm, everyone. I'm bullish on both. I'm bullish on uh, DeFi and I'm bullish on ETH, right? This mm -hmm. is kind of a funny place to be in. But I feel like too many people right now are discounting DeFi. 
Mm -hmm. It's like saying that ETH is going to, you know, appreciate relative to DeFi forever, and it's just not going to happen. This is just another cycle that's playing out. DeFi had a crazy year last year. It's not going to do two of those necessarily in a row. It was time for ETH to recover relative to 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 DeFi, of course. Now people are talking about like DeFi as if it's dead or something. It's never going to recover. I'm not calling the bottom. You're calling the bottom. I'm, I'm not calling Ryan the bottom. Ryan has joined the bottom callers. I'm looking forward to seeing another line on this craft Just next week. Just saying a bottom exists and it's got to be close is all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But That's Luke's going to turn this into uh, another uh, blue line, I guess, mm -hmm. for, uh, for Ryan calling the bottom. All right. Anyway, uh, bed index. What are we looking at, David? Down 7.5% on the week. Start of the week at roughly $175, currently clocking in at $144. Good combo though. Bitcoin, mm -hmm. ETH, and DeFi. It's kind of the our all weather portfolio. It's just kind of crabbing out though right now as it does. Hey, well, nobody noticed, David. Guess what? Dai got a little bit more decentralized, which mm -hmm. is kind of nice. What's the story here? Yeah, there's there's always been a big critique about Dai because up to a point, something like 65% of total collateral in MakerDAO was USDC, which is a big centralization risk, especially when USDC has a whitelist, which is controlled by a central entity. So by proxy, Dai has that that centralization risk. And that uh, was that like ever since the COVID crisis, right? Exactly. Remember we had yeah. that Black mm -hmm. Thursday in in uh, crypto where die kind of depegged and almost mm -hmm. you know died <laughs> totally absolutely and and now usdc collateral is below 30 percent coming in at 29.4 percent ether collateral is at 43 percent so all die is backed by up to 43 percent of ether uh, almost 15 percent of wbtc as well so starting to move back into the non-sovereign store of value monies that's good a little healthier i think mm -hmm. of and look at this from Chris Dixon speaking about uh, markets moving. Another and way to yep. uh, uh, to uh, track markets is attention, and he's doing Google Trends for W for Web three, and interest is going up over time quite Bigly. a bit. Bigly, yeah. Web three is really finding its its moment right now. I mean, I mm -hmm. think it's going to continue, but previous to this year, the Web three meme was sort of dead. Uh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It just it was kind of zombified, and now it's it, made a big resurgence. What do you think this means? Yeah, for the podcast listeners, it looks like that the search terms for Web three volume has roughly ten x since about the middle of September twenty twenty one. Wow! Uh, so that is pretty cool. Uh, you know, a slow growth for all of uh, since the, the the whole entire twenty twenty one. So slowly up into the right, but once September hit boom like 10x since in the last like two months well dixon has been one, a champion for for that model so uh for web3 as a meme and and so i'm not surprised he's tweeting this out and, and folks if you want to understand what web3 actually is i would refer to you to that podcast we did with him which are the five mental models for web3 go check that out it's somewhere in the archives as well david here's a big story man we were talking about this uh, was it two weeks ago three weeks ago the whole yep. Suzu, um, Three Arrows Capital, abandoning ETH. Mm -hmm. um, talk about that story. And what just happened was Three Arrows Capital snapped up $400 million in ETH. They've unabandoned ETH, it seems like. Traders gonna trade. Yeah, so what, what happened was that there was a, a bunch of drama between Kane, Warwick of Synthetics, and Suzu. Uh, Kane was just uh, calling out uh, just traders uh, who 
didn't really have long-term beliefs and were just kind of going from, from bag to bag to bag and shilling their bags along the way. Uh, and then Suzu just doubled down on that and saying like, yo, yeah, well, like I'll abandon Ethereum because Ethereum abandoned its users because of really, really high gas fees. That's why I'm shilling like Avalanche. Um, so that was two weeks ago. They opened up an on-chain short against ETH at the time. Uh, and now they are now buying ETH. Uh, traders gonna <laughs> trade. Granted, that short did work out because the whole entire market went down. Also granted, the whole entire market went down, but ETH went down the least in that same time frame, which really frustrates me because they were wrong and right at the same time. They ended up making money, but they could have made more money if they had shorted anything else. Um, but now they are buying. I'm, t I'm totally okay with them making money and being traders in mm -hmm. and like doing well in all market conditions totally okay with it what you know i think where the uh community had the big problem was this disparaging of builders this this yep. idea that ethereum was somehow rejecting its users when no it was actually protecting its users it was mm -hmm. uh making sure that the network stayed decentralized long term and this is uh I guess a, a, a control, a, a command Z, you know, of uh, mm -hmm. of the, like the undo button that yeah. Suzu and Three Arrows Capital pulled not less than two weeks later. And this right. was also interestingly, is at least the local top on the um, the uh, avalanche appreciation relative mm -hmm. to ETH, right? Like that's mm -hmm. gone uh, down a whole lot since that tweet too. So it's just totally a, a, a top trade. And this is uh, Suzu talking about it. He's saying, look, I couldn't let you guys jerk off watching the burn without me. That was in his original tweet too. ETH layer two is still unstable layer for one. newcomers. Layer one, excuse me, is still unstable for newcomers. Show it to your gram if you don't believe me. So he's saying, I'm still right, doubling down on that. I'll still bid it hard on any panic dump like this weekend, obviously. 100K ETH is dust for what it's worth. More coming. Mm -hmm. What does this tell you? This is, this is why you can't just follow traders because they trade first, right? Like they they move quickly and like- Fill and chill, buying, baby. Yeah, well, just because they're buying one thing this week, it doesn't mean that you have no idea what they're gonna buy next week. Just following traders doesn't work. I mean, maybe it does. I don't know. It's just like, it's so much mental capacity. That's why Ryan and I are big fans of long-term thinking. It's, 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 there's plenty of upside in long-term thinking. In fact, I kind of think there's more and there's also a lot less stress. Um, people think when they come into the space that they just need to be a trader. Uh, so many people ask me, it's like, oh, you're, you're in crypto, so you trade, right? I'm like, no, no, I'm, I podcast, I, know, I don't trade. Dude. Yeah, it's so it's, very, very It's so true, David. You like, don't so have to be a trader. You don't. It's like when you enter an RPG, right? Mass multiplayer RPG. It's like it's like choose your character class. Are you right. going to be the barbarian, the warlock, the necromancer? Oh, are you going to be the trader? Are you going right. to be the holder? Are you going to be mm -hmm. the builder? Are you going to be right. the settler? You get to pick, and you don't have to pick the character class of the trader. So many mm -hmm. people default the, to that, and it's actually like one of the hardest character classes to play. Right. And I think one of the least rewarding in my 100%. opinion, right? But like this is, I picked my character class and I'm holder, investor, settler, right? And I, 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 I don't even wanna dabble with trade. Like I'll do it from time to time, like I'll cast a few spells, whatever, but like, that's it. It's also the most crowded class. Everyone yeah. picks the trader, right? And like, and the, one of the reasons why is because people feel, people feel FOMO about yeah. about crypto, right? So like, all right, how do I feel FOMO? How do I get more crypto outsized other than just buying it? And so like, that's where a lot of people like think that they can trade or they just take on leverage. There's other ways to take on leverage. And what I mean by that is like building something 
is leverage, right? Like if you build something successful, you can have outsized returns. Uh, if you want to uh, be, be a connector, be a podcaster to every other way, like social capital, there's other ways to have outsized exposure to this industry other than just trying to maximize your trade and profit. Um, and so I will leave listeners with that to chew on. There's other ways to get outsized exposure and it's not just necessarily trading or gaining, taking leverage. Oh, totally agree. One of my favorite ways to do it, by the way, is join a DAO early. Mm -hmm that has some yes. juice and then contribute, right? Yeah. Start building out that DAO is a great way right. if, if you're the uh, the settler character class, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about this too. We teased this in the intro. Why are crypto influencers shilling Cardano, the ADA token? Uh, this is a comment from somebody on Twitter who gives actually the answer to that. And first I wanna just say, I feel like I see a lot of shilling of Cardano mm -hmm. around quote unquote specifically YouTube influencers, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Which is not, it's like you and I, David, I guess we're accidental YouTubers. Like, yeah. I don't even know how we- By necessity, yeah. Right, so like we started the podcast, like we're just trying to get the bankless message out and uh, YouTube is another way to do that. But I wouldn't call us like native YouTubers, but right. there have been crypto native, like I guess crypto influencer type YouTubers. This has been a very large, um, I, you know, I guess, I guess class of individuals mm -hmm. and a, a lot of like very popular ones that I don't frequent, but I've noticed a lot of them are shilling all sorts of things that we don't talk about very much on right. Bankless. Why do you think that is? And then what's the answer here? <laughs> yeah, so uh, certain certain tokens that, and certain projects very much understand the surface area, the massive amounts of surface area that's generated from social media platforms like YouTube. Where do people go when they want to learn about something? YouTube's often the first place. So it's a great place to throw a, throw a net to, to capture eyeballs. And then when you throw in an incentive structure, which is being what is uncovered by Jack in this tweet thread here, uh, that's really where like the fuel goes into incentivizing these, these YouTube shillers. And so if you scroll down right to the, to the second tweet, he goes, when you look at crypto, uh, make sure to look at the incentive structures. These are the mechanisms that make rises, uh, price, uh, price rises and falls. Who's motivated to hold, to advertise, to buy and sell? The key mechanic for Cardano, staking. About 70% of ADA, Cardano's token, is locked in stake pools. The rate on your staked Cardano is about 5% stake per year, roughly matching about the Ether staking per year, give or take. Um, but what about the rate for someone who runs a staking pool, which is a a component of Cardano, which is uh, part, of, part of its design structure about how you stake. You stake inside of a staking pool because you delegate your way your stake. That's not part of Ethereum structure. So the rates for those who run a staking pool is over 100% a year, as in you almost double, you double your, your stake, your stake rate every single year. So that's like if you staked 32 Ether in one year, you'd have 64 Ether the next year. Validators are doubling their money yearly off the locked fund of stakers, while stakers are only earning about 5%. This is roughly how banks work. Banks like, hey, come give us your money. We'll give you a very, very low APY while they go yield farm it in TradFi and get like, you know, 30% APY and then they pocket the difference. This is the same business model. If you're, uh, Jack continues in his thread. If you're Cardano, you got to incentivize people to promote the asset. The more you pay the validators, the more they will work to promote ADA, <clears> that <throat> and you get to stake it. If you've got a captive audience, it's a beautiful business model. Uh, so the system works like this. Your neighbor, Greg, 
watches a video shilling Cardano. They buy some ADA. They lock it up in their favorite YouTuber's validator pool. They make 5%. The YouTuber doubles their money yearly. Greg waits for ADA to moon. This is not just a conspiracy theory. Cardano actu actually recommends that validators set a part of their budget aside for running a YouTube channel. They are actively promoting this as part of the structure for YouTube. YouTubers talk about how easy it is to set up nodes, like there's no conflict of interest. Uh, so how much do these validators earn? Like a lot. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot. And this is exactly the same model that BitConnect had in 2017. They, the amount of BitConnect YouTube videos, YouTubers promoting BitConnect was off the charts. You could go anywhere without it. It was the business models like, hey, and it, all BitConnect was, was a Ponzi scheme. This is a Ponzi scheme. This is a how these things work. YouTubers promote the thing like, hey, come in, deposit your money. And it's just the, they're more and more, and it's just how you get inflows. Uh, and this is why Cardano has pumped in the ways that it has, because it is a gigantic Ponzi. And I'm not afraid to say those very harsh words. I, I said this on the Wolf of Wall Street podcast forever ago, saying Cardano is basically a full-fledged scam. And all the Cardano shills, of course, took offense. Charles Hoskinson took offense. And I feel like this is exactly what I was kind of talking about. I had the gut take then. Now we actually have the data. It's crazy that like most of, it, of crypto people didn't actually realize this very simple thing was happening because no one who's actually in crypto actually pays attention to Cardano. There's nothing actually there. And rant. And rant, David. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So if you want to understand what the outcome is, you have to look at incentives. And the fact that so, so somebody might hear what you just said and say, but David, what's what's different? And you talk a lot about um, Ether and that has a staking uh, system associated with it. And so like, aren't you just pumping your bags in this way? But what's different here is like, um, this is rewarding and incentivizing YouTube influencers and marketing above mm -hmm. like utility of the actual project, right? right? That, that is the difference. It is providing, yes, of which there is none or there's very little right now, or it's, it's definitely does not um, match the market value compared to mm -hmm. other projects, right? So there's all of this incentive to talk about the asset, to stake the asset, particularly with like the marketing arm of the network, which is these YouTube influencers. And uh, other networks don't incent in the same way. So yeah, it's troubling, but like, it's just, it just kind of explains things to me a little bit more. And now mm -hmm. I can go back to ignoring Cardano because I'm not using it to go bankless because there are no applications that I can actually use. And that that's at the end of the day, what you should be looking for if you're in mm -hmm. the crypto journey. I feel, I feel sad sometimes, like I feel bad for, for people who are new because you have to develop an expert bullshit radar in this space. Uh, it like in particularly if you're new, that's pretty hard. Like you have all of this noise coming at you, and you have to stay very tuned into what channels you consume, what information you consume, what resources you consume. It's very difficult to separate the like the signal from the noise. Um, but that's a skill you have to develop if you're on this journey. One of the best things you can do is actually, if you want to see and validate what someone's saying, is actually start using the networks, use the mm -hmm. projects, right? Uh, so for me, Cardano has never passed that test because there's nothing I can actually do on it. So mm -hmm. it's just relegated to the ignore category for me. But uh, it, this does explain some of the price pumps that we've seen, particularly over the last 12 months or so. Okay, oh, Uniswap fun. Labs, over the last two weeks, Uniswap V3, 24 hour volume record, 4.8 billion 
in 24 hours. That's a new all-time high, a weekly all-time high value of 21 billion. More ETH to US dollar value than Coinbase? Incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Uniswap story I felt like was a big deal last year and that was kind of its breakout year, but it's still a big deal. In the background, Uniswap is just chomping liquidity and continuing to crush it. Nom, 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 nom. (laughs) guys we are going to get to the releases of the week and the raises of course and talk about some of those news items you can't uh you you can't miss but before we do we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible the era of proof of stake is upon us proof of stake systems like ethereum terra and solana allow the industry to move away from the hot loud and wasteful proof of work systems and return back to a cottage industry of individual stakers and individual validators and that is what we need to make this industry stay decentralized individuals must play their part in crypto network validation and that is what lido is here to do Lido makes staking accessible to everyone at the click of a button. By delegating your stake to Lido's network of nodes, you can access the yield offered by proof of stake systems and claim your share of the network transaction rewards. Do you have 32 ETH and want to stake it to Ethereum, but running a node sounds intimidating? Or maybe you have less than 32 ETH and you need to pool your ETH with others so you can access staking yields. Lido offers a solution for both. Simply go to Lido.fi, choose which assets you want to stake, and deposit them to the Lido Validating Network. Lido is working to make sure proof of stake stays as decentralized as possible, and is committed to decentralizing its own validating network to eventually become a completely permissionless protocol. So if you want to stake your ETH, Terra, or Sol, and get liquidity on your stake, go to Lido.fi to get started. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their earn program where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, right, guys, we are back talking about the hot releases of the week. The first is this uh, POAP plus Gitcoin combined Git POAP. What -hmm. is this? And for people who aren't familiar with POAP, maybe you could give a quick explainer on POAP itself. Oh, I think more people are going to be familiar with POAP than GitHub on, on this channel. But okay, <laughs> really? so I'll, I'll do, okay. POAP, <laughs> proof of attendance protocol. It's basically you scan a QR code and you get like a pin. It's basically like a virtual digital pin, kind of like an I voted sticker, but it can be for, for anything. Uh, so I got one when I went to the Metaverso conference uh, yesterday. I also got one when I went to East Denver 2019, 2020, uh, 2021. I got to collect all the POAPs. Got one for Mariano Conti's birthday party. Uh, just like, you know, fun, fun little... Like, 
like I attended like stickers and also uh, many, many other things as well. You also get one if you're a Bankless paid newsletter subscriber. We give you the Bankless uh, premium uh, POAP badge. Because uh, you were there. You were a subscriber were there, right? in 2021. Uh -huh. And these are great community generation tools uh, for, and they can be used for so many different reasons. Get a hub, which is where a lot of developers come and uh, deposit their code. It's a code repository. Uh, it allows for asynchronous collaboration and uh, adding and appending code. With this, the, uh, the, the thing here is like, hey, like if you did something, did you complete the bounty or did you just submit code? Did you do something? You get a PO app. Uh, and this is a great way to actually create the footprint, create the surface area for rewarding people. At least that's the first use case that comes to mind for me. Uh, Poeps are really, really good for just finding out who actually participated in what. Uh, and so if you can, uh, now GitHub can introduce in, in, uh, integrate with Poeps to actually generate some sort of like registry of people that actually contributed among many other possibilities. So that's really cool. I think this is a really important primitive, David, because it's like recognizing, rewarding uh, contribution and like being early and actually doing something. So it's rewarding activity. But really what I'm, I'm really looking forward to is all of the applications that we build on top of this primitive, on top of POAPs. Because I feel right now that um, POAPs are kind of like, a little bit like two-dimensional in that you, you kind of collect them, you add them to your, your stamp collection, but still there's not a lot of utility built on top of it. So I think the next chapter for POAP and projects like this is what all of the things that you can do with your badges. So proving that I was a bankless member, look at all those, David's showing his phone mm -hmm. with all these POAPs, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. like, so th these are all social proofs. And what can he start to do with these in the future? What can he unlock? What additional benefits does he get? And there, there's some early experiences with this, but I think an entire ecosystem is going to be built on top of these things and uh, things like them. David, let's talk about this. Misari Governor. Misari is uh, an analytics firm, a media firm as well. They just released a governor uh, interface, and it's an application that allows you to, it's kind of an aggregator across all sorts of different dApps on uh, votes. It's like, what are the proposals going through in all of these different DAOs out there? And let me search for bankless. I can do that, I think. So these, this is the bankless DAO. These are the different proposals that are up for discussion. You can connect your wallet. You can view the, you know, the, the status. Uh, and this is not just bankless, of course. This is like, you know, let's type in Uniswap, Uniswap, um, deploy Uniswap V3 Polygon POS chain created 20 days ago. Status succeeded, category integration. Really cool to see a <laughs> user interface on all of the big decisions that these digital organizations are making uh, in Web3, so a nice add to the space. Any thoughts there? No, that, that was a great, great comprehensive roll-up, Ryan. Nice job. <laughs> That's what we do here. We just roll it up. Why don't you take Argent? Stark, yeah. uh, Starknet launch. Uh, they just released something this week. Yeah, we talked about this in the last two roll-ups. It's finally here. Almost it's for here for developers. It's currently a developer tool, but Argent on Starknet is now available in the Chrome store. Uh, and so this is going to be, I think, a really fantastic way to engage with crypto uh, on a very secure smart contract wallet. Smart contract wallets are definitely the future. Argent is one of them. Being on a layer two is much better than being on a layer one. Uh, and so now that is now released in the Chrome store as a developer tool. Uh, it'll probably be production released, I believe by the end of the year is what they've hinted at. That's what they've hinted at. I can't wait to say GM to the Argent app. Um, nice. Another thing I'm looking forward to. Yeah, okay? this is great. Ramp Network. They are a fiat on-ramp, and here's their commitment. 
Over the next few months, Ramp Network will provide universal global on-ramping to all major L2s. All and then, then they list them. Optimism, Arbitrum, ZK Sync, Starkware, Loopring. Boom, all of them. Nice job. This is all exactly what we need. Uh -huh. This is exactly what we need. This is Ramp doing this. Uh, all of the exchanges are going to follow suit. Follow suit. All of the fiat uh, on-ramps are going to follow suit. We're going to have bridges onto layer twos directly so that we don't have to deposit individuals in the middle of Manhattan, which is mainnet, mm -hmm. and give them like a few dollars for a cab, right? Mm -hmm. And like say, enjoy your day. Enjoy your holiday right. in New York have City. Fun. Yeah, that's that's a recipe for like not enjoying New York and uh, you know sleeping out on the streets. Instead, we're going to deposit them to layer two, which is the way it should be. Uh, these on ramps are coming. Expect this early next year. Ramp network doing big things in that space. Uh, David, let's talk raises. FTX seeking one point five billion dollars in geez. new funding at a thirty two billion dollar valuation. Wowzer, they also just raised $420 million and $69,000 not too long ago. <laughs> That's but right. They, I feel like keep... this is like two months ago. Yeah, Less right. than that, maybe yeah. six weeks. Yeah. $32 billion dollar valuation. That's that's within striking distance of Coinbase, if, I, if I'm uh, getting my numbers right. Um, what do you do with $1.5 if you're FTX? Buy, buy, buy sports leagues at, at this point. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. Like, you just push more, it into more, marketing, na right? more names and more different parts. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, they're killing it in every single direction, basically. So, like, you got, you got to say congratulations for, to, to SBF. Well, his uh, congratulations, SBF. Maybe mm -hmm. now you can unblock me now that you've heard that. Um, but, like, so what... Do you think the, um, I mean, his goal was what, JP Morgan? No, bigger than Goldman. Goldman Sachs, yeah. He want, no, he wanted to buy Goldman Sachs. Yeah. He wanted to buy Goldman Sachs. So how big is right. Goldman Sachs, I wonder? Bigger 90, than, bigger than, yeah. yeah everything billion, about, everything billion, about crypto and like FTX needs to 10x, yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, getting close though. Every, uh -huh. <laughs> every six weeks, it's a little bit closer. Let's talk about this. Volts, interest rate swap, automated market maker, just mm -hmm. announced its raise, $6 million led by Framework Ventures. What is Volts? Yeah, Volts is uh, uh, part of this new category of, uh, of DeFi apps that are separating principal and interest rates to allow for just an interest rate market uh, integrating with an AMM, which is pretty revolutionary. Uh, Van, uh, we've had Vance Spencer on the podcast a number of times for our bull case for DeFi. Very big episodes. We like, we like France, uh, Vance, and... Uh, uh, we also, also like Ryan. France. Yeah, freedom of uh, future of finance, right? Um, and so, yeah, this is—it's not live yet, but they did raise a sixty million dollar seed round, of which Ryan and I were a part of. So, disclaimer. Yeah, we're we're definitely bullish on that. You know what else we're bullish on though is jobs. Let's talk about jobs. Do you have a job in crypto? If not, you should. David can't dance because he's in Puerto Rico, but like, I'm, imagine I'm him dancing. Today. Oh, fuck it, fine. <laughs> he's. <laughs> Imagine him dancing in the background as I'm saying this. Uh, you know, I can't watch because I got to read these things out. S senior backend engineer at Smart DeFi, product manager, Smart DeFi, accountant, Smart DeFi, senior software engineer, popcorn, community ecosystem lead. That's at DYDX. Check that out. Crypto research analyst. You got to be an NFT specialist for Bitwise. Another one for smart contract platforms and Web3. And another governance specialist. All of those at Bitwise. A head of growth at DexGuru. Technical lead at Draftly. Head of Ethereum research immutable. Head of tokens immutable. Community manager Dexable. Lead engineer Hatstop Finance. Community manager Egronum. And also CTO Egronum. Thank you, David, for getting us through the jobs of the week. That's not all of them, though.
If you want to see the full list of jobs, go to the Bankless job boards at bankless.palette.xyz slash jobs. Hit subscribe and you can get access to that. Uh, David, thank you, man. Thanks for your and contribution. You really if you me. If you want to make me dance for longer, you can hit up the Bankless <laughs> Twitter account to submit your job. Uh, and I, I dance as long as the, the jobs list keeps on growing. So I can also read slower, guys. And that can happen <laughs> no, you can. I will stop dancing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's get to the news. Hey, let's start here. There was a big hack last week. This happened after the roll-up or just like while we were recording last week's roll-up. But now we've got the details and what happened. Badger DAO was hacked. This is a tokenized Bitcoin protocol on uh, on Ethereum. But the hack was somewhat unique. Okay, so first of all, well, one thing that was unique is a lot of money, $120 million big. in wrapped Bitcoin. Hack. That's it's big, big, right? Mm-hmm. In, in, in all of the scheme of hacks. Also, the way it was hacked as well, most DeFi hacks that we've seen up to this point have been like, there's a bug in the smart contract wallet. There's uh, an issue with the oracles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some code has gone wrong somewhere or Flash some loan, system is right. down. Yeah. Flash loan. Okay. This was an attack on the user interface right. side of things. User it's interface. It's the first time I've level. seen this. Me too. Yeah. Could you describe like what happened, David? So how did uh, this attack happen? Yeah, so I'm not too sure what a front-end interface means, but I think it's a man-in-the-middle attack. I think it's Well, the right. front-end interface, is like it's, so it's not in the smart contract code, right? It's like right. in the API layer, right. they somehow yes. injected. So like when you're clicking a link on the website, you're interacting right. with the front-end, and it was sure. in that layer of the mm-hmm. website in the DAP that the malicious hacker injected this code. Right, so some some, da- some data was hot swapped. The data that was supposed to be sent to Ethereum was was snagged by an attacker and was replaced with a different set of data. And then I'm assuming somebody with their private keys approved that. Uh, I don't know how that resulted in the, in the whole entire treasury of Badger Dow getting snagged, but that's that's what happened. So it was well, really so it happened. So so it happened like an address at a time. What actually happened? So I, I think anyone who's used Listen Bankless and used DeFi has seen this before. When you're using MetaMask and you're um, you know, doing something in, in a DeFi app, or you get this like approval message uh, in MetaMask. You want to approve this, this website or this app access to you know, your ETH tokens or your ERC20 tokens. Okay, so the hacker actually hijacked that message and made the message actually grant approval to their address to then siphon all of the funds out of these addresses. So I believe what happened, David, is uh, like an address at a time um, was stolen, you know, around like two two hours or so. And the I guess the insidious thing is, I don't know how many times I've clicked a approve. link that just says approve without sure. going into details and actually looking at it. Oh, okay, uh, sure, I'll approve that, yeah. Okay. That's like, that's like approving somebody to like, oh yeah, you're free to walk into my bank account, my fault, and just like do whatever. It yeah. kind of mm-hmm. becomes like, how how often do you read the terms of service, right? When right. you like sign something, right? You get you just too many approvals and you can't mm-hmm. check them all. But this, this is, is a, this is why I migrate private keys every now and then. Uh, I don't know a lot of people who do that, also, but like every for year or so, I just move. Yeah, it's been great for airdrops. <laughs> let me tell you that. Uh, yeah, I just pick, I just move wallets for like roughly once a year, and just like just thousands of addresses, infinite addresses. Yeah, uh-huh. you're, let uh, me tell the, you, Uniswap was fun. <laughs> You got to find them though. Don't lose them. <laughs> yeah. um, this is a PSA from CryptoCat helping us out with that. So a little bit of MetaMask hygiene can go a long way so that this doesn't happen to you. The first tip he has is know what you're approving. 
check the approved address yourself. Don't trust the site's user interface. Take the address manually from the MetaMask data and look at the contract on Etherscan, okay? How often have you done this? Mm, never. Okay, if it's a large sum of money, make sure you are doing that. Mm -hmm. And then what are you checking? You're checking, is the contract brand new? You're checking who deployed it? Where do the funds come from? Just double check. Go check in Etherscan, double check. Is it a proxy? Secondly, I think this is huge. Know how much you are approving, all right? When you get these approval messages on MetaMask, you don't have to blanket approve all of the tokens, all of the assets right. in your in your address. You can just set a custom spending limit. Right. So mm -hmm. if the trade is only one ETH, then just set it for one ETH. Don't give them yeah. access to all of your ETH in that address necessarily. Make sure you're setting approvals per token. Be extra tight with your approval on proxies. It's you know the the fourth uh, thing here he recommends uh, revoke dot cash is a great mm -hmm. tool so do some quarterly review of your approvals mm -hmm. you can click this app, app revoke.cash uh, and enter your eth address and it will show you all of the websites you've previously given approval you should go ahead and revoke those mm -hmm. on at least Con a quarterly consider basis consider those like stds like you don't know which one is going to be going to be the one that gets yeah, you so exactly yeah. uh -huh. exactly so this is just good hygiene as yeah. we said um, uh -huh. if you're doing infinite approvals you should have a good reason for it, it should never be your default stay safe out there that's the PSA, guys. Yep. I think it's yep. uh, something we can learn from this exercise. Also, interesting, yeah, Nexus interesting. Mutual mm -hmm. didn't pay out. Why didn't they pay out, David? Right, so Nexus Mutual is an insurance, DeFi insurance. So it protects against hacks. It protects against smart contract hacks. This was not a smart contract hack. The, the smart contracts for Badger are, un, well, they, I don't know if they're secure, but it wasn't an exploit. It wasn't a smart contract exploit. So those, in, in theory, those smart contracts are still fine. The front end is what got hacked. Nexus Mutual doesn't cover the front end. So the Nexus Mutual is not paying out people that lost money in Badger, uh, which is kind of like, you know, kind of the same old things that we see in traditional insurance. Like, oh, well, let me check the terms of conditions. Oh, that was like, you know, volcanoes, that wasn't covered in your, in your insurance. Like, you know, that, 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 you don't get that one. Uh, I so guess so, but yeah. it's also fair. I mean, their yeah. their contract is always their you know insurance has always been about smart contracts. Doesn't cover yep. economic risk, Oracle risk. Right. Doesn't cover user interface risk. So it's also mm -hmm. fair that actually was in the terms. Um, so I understand that side of it too. Also, and this, this is why it's important to go bankless because Celsius Network was a centralized yes. borrowing and lending agency had money in BadgerDAO. So Celsius, uh, you, you put your money in, it's kind of like Compound or Aave, but basically they go out and they yield farm in DeFi on your behalf. And then kind of just like a bank, they get some amount of APY, they pass some of that APY onto you, they pocket the difference, but they are farming with users' monies. And so there's a there's a misalignment of incentives there because you know they, they can take on risk and they need to take on risk in order to get the yield. Uh, and so they lost a decent amount of money in this Badger DAO DeFi hack. Uh, and overall, I, I would suggest that if you are going to use Celsius, make sure you aren't just using it out of convenience. Use it for a specific reason, for specific uh, uh, you know, metrics. Uh, don't just use it because it's easy. Uh, custody is really, really important. And uh, something could have happened that could have completely wiped Celsius out. We don't know. Um, it's kind of like Tether. It's a black box. We don't know what's going on behind there. And the DeFi alternatives are just far superior in my mind. So that, that's my personal PSA there. Yeah, I I agree with that too. And I think like BlockFi, anyone who's taking custody of your assets and generating some return, if mm -hmm. um, if they're like a crypto bank, you have no idea what they're actually doing with it. You just right. no, don't know. It's a black box. Now, in this case, Celsius said, 
look guys we'll cover all of if you lost money we'll cover it not a problem right yeah. i understand the celsius is growing so fast it's so big at this point they have the funds sort to do that that's not so much what i'm worried about what i worry about with these schemes is it's kind of like the traditional banking systems where you just don't know you put it in the black box you don't have transparency uh and i guess that's okay but that is an element of trust right and with DeFi. Like you deposit your funds in, in YFI, you can mm -hmm. right click, view source, and understand exactly where it's all going. If you want to, mm -hmm. you can understand the risk profile of what you just did. Whereas this is a black box type system. So, uh, yeah, just this, be cautious. This article of this. says, uh, according to Twitter speculators, Celsius may have lost up to $50 million as a result of the exploit. Um, I don't know how much research went into that number. Again, just speculation, but oof, big oof. Yeah, and Celsius can afford it, and they will because it's mm -hmm. about their their brand. But what if it was five hundred million? Yeah, right. What if it was right. five billion? Right. I mean, next time yeah. it could be right. I mean, mm -hmm. This is kind of what we're dealing with here. Anyway, another another exchange got hacked. Another central this centralized exchange. In this case, Bitmart. Uh, I didn't even know this existed. I guess it's right. Walmart for Bitcoin. I don't know. Bitmart. <laughs> uh, One hundred ninety six million was hacked and lost. That's a big number. And and, and by the way, the, the Badger Dow DeFi hack, 120 million, also a huge number as yeah, when it comes to DeFi hacks. Usually DeFi yeah. hacks are in the single digit millions, maybe ten, like double digit millions. Big Triple numbers. digit millions do not happen often. They happen way more with centralized exchanges, uh, but even this centralized exchange of hack of 196 million is a big hack. Um, That's big. The, re the reason why centralized exchanges are often bigger than DeFi apps is that centralized exchanges consolidate so many deposits into the same wallet. So there's a big, big honeypot that doesn't necessarily happen with DeFi apps, by the way, the nature of their construction. Um, but yeah, over 100 million in various cryptocurrencies on Ethereum and then 96 million on Binance Smart Chain was hacked from BitMart. Um, one of the... Oof. One of the multi-sig holders, like one of their uh, accounts was compromised, something to that mm -hmm. effect, right? It's like when you put your funds in a centralized exchange, it's like just a gigantic vault, yep. right? Yep. And they have to have good security processes, multi-sig signers, but sometimes that goes wrong. You know what I, I was also interested in is what did the hacker do when the hacker took the funds, okay? This is just sort of interesting to me. So let's say you just go, you make off with $196 uh, million in various crypto assets, David. What do you do with it? All right. Well, this individual yeah, went to it. one inch, swapped the assets for ETH, mm -hmm. okay, and then went to Tornado Cash and then sort of mixed them up privacy style. What's interesting to me about that is like how quickly when a hacker goes and steals something, um, th they go to the the best money possible, the most base money possible, the most the, saleable good possible, right? The, the good with the money with the strongest settlement assurances, the yes. strongest property rights. Yes, and that right. happens to be ETH, particularly mm -hmm. ETH when you have a privacy layer in between. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. So it's all going back to ETH. I guess hackers know the best money. Yep. You want to know yep. what's money? Go see what the hackers you know, uh, translate it into. Let's talk about this, David. The Free Ross Movement, mm -hmm. they took a leaf out of Constitution Dow's book. What is that headline telling us? Yeah, so Ross Ulbricht, the famous dread pirate Roberts from the Silk Road, the uh, guy that spun up the Silk Road and then went to jail for life for it. I think two life sentences plus 40 years for a non-violent first offender. Uh, absolutely crazy. They just made a huge example out of him. And then the conspiracy is not because he was selling drugs, but because he was using Bitcoin. That's a different story for a different day. He's in jail for life. Um, 
but he is all he he follows uh, because of, through the help of his mom he follows the crypto world just because he's interested in it uh, and he is releasing nfts to raise funds to help free himself but also to help pay for uh, loved ones that can see other loved ones in jail so one part charity one part trying to free himself from jail um, the uh, and the pleaser Dow has started up free Ross Dow uh, and so they made it, they made free Ross Dow they contributed some of their own funds to free Ross Dow they collected over uh, 2800 eth to in order to bid on this Ross Ulbricht NFT they won. They won with a winning bid of 144, uh, 1,446 ETH. Uh, so free Ross Dow owns the Ross Ulbricht NFT, and I can't imagine a better Dow to, to own it. Um, now there's now a community around this NFT, and I believe the plan is to fractionalize it and turn it into a currency and take and continue on the story. So congratulations to anyone that donated money to free Ross Dow. This, awesome. this reminds me of uh, the Constitution DAO. Of course, it's a smaller story. It's not the Constitution. It's it's something mm -hmm. smaller, but um, it is an example of a community, you know, buying something together uh, mm -hmm. toward a common good and, and tokenizing and turning it into a DAO to do something more. What what mm -hmm. what's Free Ross DAO going to do next? Uh, yeah, no, I think the plan is to fractionalize it, uh, probably with fractional, uh, and then turn it into an ERC-20 token and make a currency out of it, and then use that to fund further developments that can also help free ROS. Uh, so there could perhaps become an economy around this free ROS movement. Yeah, there's just really interesting experiments going on. Maybe this Before is you move they... on, something yeah. that uh, I think is super sickening is that a bunch of Bitcoiners, we talked about this when, when uh, Ross uh, minted the NFT, they hated the fact that he was minting an NFT, saying like, how do you how you lose your base in one easy step? You mint an NFT, and because the base being Bitcoin maximalist. Forgetting that Ross Ulbricht's not a Bitcoin maximalist. He just used Bitcoin <laughs> in 2013. Uh, so a Everyone bunch of was in 2013. A bunch of Bitcoiners were trying to generate funds in order to buy the NFT in order so that they can burn it just to spite it, in order just to spite the movement which just tells you again how much they lost the plot they're just like burning their hero at the stake and they've done this so many times because you can't go against bitcoin and so like they were trying to do they were trying to do the same thing that free ross dow was going to do except instead of making a public good they were just trying to burn it and eliminate it from existence and you know, you can't beat Ethereum at capital generation. That's what we're good at. So once again, like beaten by Ethereum, you can't bet against Ethereum. It doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very weird to excommunicate members of uh, of your mm -hmm. community. I, I just don't understand it. Definitely, we've seen this in religious uh, circles. Mm -hmm. I guess we see it in crypto tribalism as well. Mm -hmm. uh, New York Times, though, I guess maybe they're getting on board. They just use the mm -hmm. word tokenomics in one of their articles. Yeah, and that's the whole story. Tokenomics is now part of the New York Times vernacular. Cool. Maybe it's going to be Webster's uh, Word of the Year next year. We'll see. Perhaps. Uh, let's talk about this. Google, their former CEO, Eric Schmitz, he just joined Chainlink as a strategic advisor. So I remember Eric, when he came on board at, at Google, he took over for the two uh, co-founders who were like in their like late late 20s or something and said he was going to provide adult supervision for Google, right? That was kind of the joke uh, and get them through the kind of the IPO in the 2000s. So it's a pretty big name in the tech scene. And now we're seeing Web2 graduates getting into Web3, which is pretty cool. So joining Chainlink, I think that's a that's a big step. And I wonder if we'll, we'll continue to see more of that moving forward. Um, Let's talk about this, David. So interesting thing I was I was kind of tracking is this idea of censorship. All right, we'll, we'll get back to uh, a story about 
um, Definity in a moment and the concept of censorship, but I think it's important. Here's a Chris Dixon tweet. YouTube suspended my account for posting a DeFi hackathon video. He's quoting someone else who said this. Apparently, maybe YouTube um, suspending accounts for content mm -hmm. it doesn't like. Now, we don't know why exactly what triggered the, the suspension algorithm, but we're starting to see that more and more. Uh, here's another one. This is uh, on Twitter this time. A Na Nancy Pelosi portfolio tracker and a Maxwell trial tracker. These are accounts spun up to mm -hmm. track Nancy Pelosi's portfolio, I guess, and mm -hmm. to track the, the Maxwell trial. Their Daily accounts Maxwell, were suspended. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. These are big accounts, Twitter. too. 217,000. Uh, yeah. 217,000 followers for the Nancy account and then over half a million followers for the Galen Maxwell trial tracker suspended. Uh, and you know, the Galen Maxwell trial did not get any coverage by legacy media. Instead, there was a bunch of just news of uh, like, you know, but uh, others, other stuff, other drama. Uh, and the, you know, the conspiracy is, we all know Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. And now people are saying, well, the, the Galen Maxwell trial is being suppressed. Uh, so censorship is bad. Well, is it like, so yes, censorship is bad, but like, we don't even know why mm -hmm. these accounts were suspended, right? And yep. that's, that's the whole problem with it. Like they broke one of Twitter's rules. You want mm -hmm. find more information? Look at our privacy policy. Like, what, right. But what rules did they break? Why were they suspended? You're once again reminded, this is not a public protocol. This is very much your in a corporation's playground, right? And so they can suspend you. They can kick you out of their restaurant for any reason they feel like, and they don't have to justify their actions, except mm -hmm. maybe in the in the court of public opinion, okay? This is what we're talking about. This is the potential for censorship. This is why we want to build Web3 platforms that don't have this loophole. The original Web1 platforms didn't have a censorship loophole either, right? HD, uh, HTTP. SMTP, right? These protocols basically didn't have the ability to give mm -hmm. any uh, centralized actor censorship over them. They were credibly neutral. They were free. Anyone could use them. You could use them for good purposes. You could use them for bad purposes, but they were free. Okay. Web2 has moved away from that. This is sort of what I worry about. This gets back to the point where I'm relating this to maybe to a crypto project in Definity. Um, I saw this uh, governance proposal in Definity. Someone flagged my attention to it. And it was basically a conversation. Definity, of course, is a, a decentralized kind of like storage compute uh, mm -hmm. protocol. Um, it, it, it can be, if its vision is fulfilled, very complementary to many of the other things we see in crypto, right? It's like, um, particularly like maybe in Ethereum, maybe a Uniswap front end could be stored on top of Definity. And the promise of something like Definity in the internet community is censorship resistance, okay? So we don't have the problems we just saw with uh, YouTube and Twitter and Web2. Um, but here's this governance post. It's basically talking about one of the uh, Definity nodes, um, some a container, some 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 content was uh, posted on top of it um, that Nintendo is saying we own. And this is copyright infringement, okay? It's like a Super Mario 64 emulator on top of a, a Divinity contract. And so governance post in the community saying, community, what should we do about this? We would propose that Divinity add the ability to remove certain content of uh, remove canister remove some things if it infringes if the community votes for it to be removed okay and it's like to me red flags start to go off when when crypto communities talk about that okay it's like okay mario we'll just like have a vote and we'll just remove the thing you sent us an angry letter so we're just going to remove it okay this is just like 
a very small case of this, but what happens if a nation state basically says, hey, if you use the word, I don't know, voter suppression or Maxwell case, right? We want all of that content removed. And it's not Nintendo sending you that letter. It's like the FBI sending you that Mm -hmm. letter, or it's like um, the CCP in, in China sending you this letter, okay? It's like, if you have the ability to censor content and turn it off, then it's not decentralized. It's not right. censorship resistant. And then I go back to like, what's the point? And the thing with in the D- Definity case is they're saying, well, it is still decentralized because the community gets to vote whether this specific piece of content gets uh, removed or not by token vote. But like, who owns the tokens? All right, Definity Foundation, like members of the community, insiders, shareholders in a corporation. So I'm like back to like, okay, if we're leaving a token vote loophole open for these things that matter a lot, aren't we just reverting back to the shareholder? Cor- like, what's the difference between Twitter shareholders saying, no, you can't have that content, and Definity token holders saying, no, you can't? So, just an example, and I'm not bashing Definity. I think, like, maybe they're I, trying to do fantastic things. Okay. But, like, this is just, I'm not specifically bashing Definity, is what I would say. Oh, okay. I'm bashing the concept of, token vote on the protocol dictating important governance decisions because if if nintendo sends you an email like please remove our ip Mm -hmm. right like that's just like a breeze of the sort of you know resistance that's going to come for content in the future and if you're falling over at that you're never going to make it you're never going to build something that is censorship resistant and uh, anyway i tweeted this out i got some back and forth from people who are like but Ryan, it's it's copyright. It's an IP. Are you saying that child pornography and like uh, you know terrorism should be allowed on these platforms? Like, what are you actually supporting? I'm like, what are you supporting? Right. These are censorship resistant. Don't don't give me the child porn and terrorism shtick that like mainstream does about this, right? You either believe in a credibly neutral, open, free system of expression, or you don't. And you believe in the benefits of that system versus the cots, or you don't. But like, let's not have this, you know, censorship-resistant, decentralized theater. Anyway, there's my long rant. You got one earlier, Dave, but that's my long rant. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, if you, if you go back to the to the governance uh, po- uh, proposal to to remove the thing uh, about the child, the terrorism and child porn. Like, well, here's a actually from a post. While the internet computer is designed to be censorship resistant, in order for it to be adopted as the world's computer by the mainstream, it's critical to abide by laws against terrorism and child porn, etc., as well as regulations around copyright infringement and intellectual property rights. Uh, let's not equate copyright infringement and intellectual <laughs> property rights with terrorism and child porn. And it, and I, and I want That's to just end. It, it should stop. The, the sentence should stop here. It says. In order to, for it to be adopted by a world computer by the mainstream, it is critical to abide by laws. What? No, no. The cool thing about crypto is that it is a new set of laws. That yep. is the whole point. We do not abide by old laws. The whole point about crypto is we are a new sca- social scaffolding structure that is not the same as the old social scaffolding structure. Uh, and so this is the difference between on-chain governance of a token vote and, and Ether holders. If you if you want to be a proof of stake state validator on the Ethereum network, you have absolutely no control as to what goes on the Ethereum network. You just validate it. You just approve it. That is the difference. And so this Definity 
is a web two protocol with decentralization theater layered, like uh, theater just all layered on top of it. It is not what we are here for. There's no property rights. There's no there's no self sovereignty of the user. Uh, yeah, like it, it does. It just doesn't exist outside of the existing property rights we already have, which right. is if mm -hmm. you're saying the nation state gets to control different regulations, different jurisdictions get to control this, then you're not Web three. Are you you're not crypto? Right. Are you just right. another Web two thing? Right. Which is cool. But like we already have that, like may as well host an AWS. AWS will respond to Nintendo's letter too. This is just the this is just what frustrates me about this, David. It's like I feel like there's a lot of decentralized theater going on, and I feel mm -hmm. like we need to because we're here early. Like we need to stand up for cypherpunk values, right? Is the right. entire point of this thing in general? I I do worry about having like CoinVote being sort of a proxy for centralization, right. and I'm most worried about that at the base layer, right. the things that are supposed to be more most decentralized. I don't care if a DAO has a token vote. Yeah. Co Who cares? CoinVote happens at the app layer when, when it's appropriate. Yep, right. agreed. Anyway, moving on, uh, let's talk about this sushi swap. Speaking of mm -hmm. drama, there's some more drama. What's actually happening with uh, the sushi swap drama, David? I think this drama really got uh, triggered because of the falling sushi price. Overall, like DeFi's down, sushi the sushi token price is down even more. And so that causes a bunch of community angst. Uh, and so there's been a lot of friction between the leadership behind SushiSwap, which is you know a very flat organization. It got st started just as a vampire attack on Uniswap and also started branding itself as like the, the non-VC version of Uniswap and generated a lot of community traction that way. Built and then some cool stuff. Built some cool stuff. And, and meanwhile, it's, it's run into just organizational issues. How do you actually organize as uh, an entity without creating hierarchy? And so I really wanted to be a very flat organization. Flat organiz organizations are really, really hard, especially when you don't have typical organizational structures to make people comply by, right? A lot of the anonymous developers of SushiSwap just don't have a lot of transparency. There's not a lot of transparency going on between the devs and the community. There's been a lot of friction there. Joseph DeLong, the CTO of, of uh, SushiSwap, uh, really just declined, uh, what's the right word? Um, it pushed back against all the community FUD against the sushi community's FUD against sushi the team uh, and said this is this is ridiculous guys like I work my work my butt off trying to get sushi swap in fact I actually want a pay raise uh, and if you don't pay raise if you don't give me this pay raise I'm, I'm just going to leave uh, the community decided to not give him the pay raise so Joseph DeLong has re re resigned as CEO of sushi swap uh, and uh, there's uh, apparently a lot of the sushi swap communities was just like harassing him inside the discord and on on twitter uh and then there's other um uh sushi swap team members as well which have been um uh accused of just trying to you know pay themselves right using the the sushi swap treasury to just fund their own their own uh their own pockets uh and we've seen this before like when it, wherever there's governance and control over things people try to access that uh, that's just what happens over time. That's where incentives go. So overall, there's a bunch of sushi swap drama that's going on, uh, and it seems to be that sushi swap is going through a tumultuous time. Um, sushi swap has gone through tumultuous times before. It's come out bigger and brighter on the other side. No, I have nothing to say if it's actually going to happen again. Every single obstacle presents its own challenges. Um, we will see where this goes. Governance is hard, right? You know, particularly like DAO, DeFi, token governance. And there's this idea of the, the tyranny of structurelessness, which is like if you have structurelessness, that actually is a governance 
decision right. and that comes with its own tyranny as well mm -hmm. and i i do feel like sometimes in crypto we're guilty of just saying like it's decentralized right like as if that is is right. a complete fix mm -hmm. on all governance issues and if that is the optimal way to make decisions in every type of organization right and uh yeah i think there's just some growing pains happening mm -hmm. with DAOs as a result of, of figuring this stuff out yeah, with, without structure and hierarchy and order, like everything kind of devolves into like who's the most greedy and also the most loud and most aggressive. Loud, loud yeah. greedy, cabals, almost mm -hmm. like violence, right? It's like right. anarchy, you mm -hmm. know, anarchy completely. Um, anyway, there, there are systems and designs around this, but I think they'll take some time to evolve too. Uh, David, Vitalik wrote a fantastic post. It's called Endgame. Post so good it crashed his website. So yeah. I actually couldn't access this when it was uh, first published, but I've read it. It's a fantastic post. And really, this is an extrapolation, I think, on the end game for Ethereum, for uh, other L1s, and also for rollups. Uh, we don't have time to get into all the details, but we will link the post in the show notes. And I guess maybe this is some homework for Bankless listeners. Go read this post because we're going to have Vitalik on the podcast uh, toward the end of this month. I think it'll be our first podcast of the year where mm -hmm. we're going to go over this post. We're going to go over the Ethereum roadmap, his thoughts on crypto, uh, and see what he's thinking towards uh, 2022. So PSA, this is out there. Stay tuned for that episode. It's coming soon. Uh, let's get into some NFT stuff. Ubisoft. Mm -hmm. All right. So there's some, I guess, good news this week in NFT land that Ubisoft was going to become the first major gaming company to actually embrace and launch in-game NFTs. They were doing this on Tezos after years of dabbling, they said. It was time for Ubisoft to take NFTs and crypto gaming to the next level. So that was exciting at first. That's the first thing that happened. And then apparently they put out this video on YouTube, a trailer of what they had in mind. And this trailer on YouTube was so disliked, David. Like the downvote ratio to upvote is like 5% upvote ratio and 95% downvote. It got so bad that Ubisoft actually decided to pull the trailer from YouTube. And I don't know that that means they're gonna you know, pull their all their NFT uh, plans, but that was definitely like, they, they saw that shot across the bow from the community just saying, we're rejecting this. We don't want this. We, we don't want NFTs in our game. And so I was thinking about this a little bit. I know we sort of talked about this before, uh, but like, why is this happening? Because this isn't the first time, all right? So you remember a couple, a few weeks ago, we were telling you guys about Discord and they were the CEO of Discord was teasing an integration with MetaMask. Uh, and then not too, like less than two days later, he came in back and said, nope, we're not actually doing that. That was just a test ideas. Right walked it right back because the community hated it so much. Now, uh, video gamers, and video gamers are huge you know, users of Discord, of course, uh, they're chasing Ubisoft away from NFTs. So I'm trying to figure out why. Like, why do gamers hate NFTs? Uh, and I you know, asked the community, talked to some people in the space, talked to some crypto gamers, listened to some YouTube videos, and I feel like I now have a much more nuanced answer. But before I get into some of the, like, the things that I found, David, what's your take? Why do, crypto, why do gamers hate NFTs? I mean, I think some in the crypto community will just say, they're ignorant, they don't know any better. They're using like environmental FUD as a reason for hating it and they just wanna hate things, so they hate it. Um, I mm -hmm. think there's more to it than that, but what do you mm -hmm. think? I think gamers really care about games and the games that they like to play. And 
a lot of people just don't like change, regardless about crypto or like regardless about anything. People don't like change, and ga gamers are really a really sensitive cohort of people. Really, uh, really, really, really picky. Oh yeah, oh big time. Yeah, kind of, kind of whiny. Just people. snobby, like a little hipster snobby type. Yeah, like... yeah, like kind of spoiled brat type. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I consider myself a gamer, but the gamers that really Same. care about gaming, they're 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 yeah, yeah. they're they're just picky and whiny. Uh, and so we we have to do, understand that like when you integrate nfts into a game it's changing the game like things change when that happens and people don't like change especially gamers gamers want what they want uh and and you know game companies have historically listened to their communities because that's where all their revenue comes from so like i'm not really surprised the the difference is is that nft integrated games like asset integrated games can produce brand new communities that are completely new from completely different subsets of the world. And those communities don't exist because NFT games don't exist yet. And so the future communities of the world, like the unborn childs, don't have a voice. They're not born yet. And so they, there's no other community to push back against them because the whole point about adding NFTs is to create something new. And so this is like trad gaming. We have now have we now have trad gaming, Ryan. And we have like incumbents. We have, the, we have the, the trad gaming community who just doesn't want to 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 see change happen. Yeah, and I saw a take from Scott Lewis of a uh, DeFi Pulse who was very much of like you know gamers are big escapists, right? Like the world out there is scary and crazy, and you know making a, a life for oneself and career is really really hard. And so they go to their game where nothing really matters. And when I say nothing matters, I mean like yeah, nothing economically nothing matters when you play your game. There's no assets inside the game, and so when you actually put monetary assets inside the game things matter a lot more like things become really really real when you when you find gold in the game if that actually translates to something that you can sell on uniswap start your decisions start to become a lot more have a lot more consequences and I mean, that really removes the concept of escapism and when a lot of these gamers are just used to being able to just dabble around and not think too seriously as soon as you put money into the game it's going to get a lot more competitive and a lot more real uh, I, so like imagine totally what like like professional, professional like we, we know like yield guild games right yeah. that is a DAO of gamers who are taking axie infinity seriously uh and then they are playing that in order to make money and so like imagine like gamer casual gamers are not going to go up against like vc backed gamer DAOs where they're going to after they're taking the game really really seriously uh and so again the change is hard change is rough uh, and the the future community gamer communities of NFTs, of which are going to actually fund real lifestyles and real salaries and real careers, don't have a voice yet. There's only the trad gamers out there. Yeah, I I I think that's good. And just you know, to maybe get, imagine you're you're a gamer, right? And you're working kind of your a dead end job that you don't really like, right? You go, you log into your game during the evenings, and like you know, you're a badass in that game. You're mm -hmm. a level sixty warlock. Yeah, with your like armor's some sweet dope. armor, yeah. and you're like a clan leader, mm -hmm. right? And you have this alias, and you're mm -hmm. just a badass. Imagine now you have to compete economically against Suzu and Three Arrows Capital mm -hmm. for like the dragon armor mm -hmm. that uh, you really want, right? And they have all of this capital from the real world, from the outside right. world. They're gonna just like decimate you. Yeah, you've just like your your status, your escapism, everything that was fun about that game has now been kind of destroyed and mm -hmm. so i get that and i think that's um that's maybe a, a kind of a, a hidden motive about this and the, the way that you know i think gamers might phrase this is yeah when you add financials 
uh, it just stops being fun. What gets paid gets played is how mm-hmm. bored Elon Musk uh, you know, responded to this. Um, I would also say there might be a few other things at play. I think possibly US, you know, maybe Western gamers are kind of just missing it. I heard from someone in this thread, somebody from Indonesia, and he's like, all the gamers I talk to in Indonesia are all about NFTs. I don't know what the US is missing, but you guys are behind, right? And so that's an interesting take. This might be sort of regional. Um, also, back to your point about like uh, kind of this not coming from the bottom up community. I do think that the Ubisofts and the EA Sports, like the, these are tr- like corporatized companies mm-hmm. that the gaming communities traditionally hate. And they've dealt with like downloadable content that requires a fee. They've dealt with like right. micro traction, uh, transactions that require a fee. And it's funny, it's like the investors in the boardroom at Ubisoft talking about NFTs is not coming bottom up from the community saying, hey, we created this fantastic Ubisoft mod, game mod, Mm -hmm. and like we built it and it's community first, right? So it's coming top down rather than bottom up, which is a problem. They just haven't, they haven't seen the killer app yet, right? Axie Infinity wasn't for them. They're waiting for like this AAA level game. They just haven't seen it yet. So I feel like it's something that's going to be resolved, but I don't know if it's gonna be resolved this cycle. Okay, because what we're seeing is like a lot of large corporate gaming companies enter the NFT space like kind of when it's really hot in order to make money the way they saw dollar signs with microtransactions and downloadable content. And I don't think that's the way you're going to get the gaming community on board. It has to come from bottom up. So maybe that's what's going on. And I, I think this fits into just the broader theme that we see with crypto is that the traditional already established institutions out there are going to be replaced by brand new institutions rather than coming along from the ride. And it seems to be the community saying like, hey, like, don't go there. Like, don't yeah. like, stay, stay here, which yeah. leaves a lot of room for new gaming studios. And nothing really like there's a lot of things that need to get disrupted in the world banks being like probably at the top of that list gaming companies are not far behind there's yeah. a lot of entrenchment there's a just a, a lot like of with like record la- labels lack and... of innovation yeah yeah and so like I, th- I think that's just leaves a huge opportunity for brand new gaming studios to embrace uh, nfts in a way that the corporatized like big big gaming studios never really could anyways because they're boomers and they don't get it you know trad gaming blah 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 uh and so i i, th- I think perhaps the, the next gaming studio are going to just be birth because of this movement because of this resistance yeah i agree and so from that perspective look you know gamers crypto stands in solidarity this is a bottom-up movement let it be mm-hmm. your movement start mm-hmm. embracing nfts as you as neutral technology and building on top of them that's how you get ahead um we'll leave also, the door perhaps, open perhaps take life more seriously and stop being such an escapist <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's david's tough life advice here yeah yeah uh, what's happening with OpenSea? All right, so there was talk of maybe a token, but now it looks mm-hmm. like they're going in the IPO direction. So they're mm-hmm. taking a chapter out of Coinbase's book. And so members of the community are like, come on, we want a token. What's happening right. here, David? Yeah, uh, we kind of suspected this for a while. OpenSea, it's a centralized company. It's a centralized protocol. It's basically just centra- like a, a eBay for NFTs. Uh, it's got smart contracts on Ethereum, but they're not openly verifiable. Uh, so th- I think they're kind of just leaning into the whole centralization thing, but like much to their benefit and success. Uh, and it's just going to be continued by apparently an IPO. I think it's basically an open secret at this point, even though this IPO is not confirmed, it was just a hint, 
but I mean, I'm gonna go ahead and put my money on an IPO. Uh, and of course people are, users are bummed by not having a token. We want tokens, we like airdrops. We like being gifted equity because we want these things to be community owned and community operated. But OpenSea, apparently that's just not their vibe. That's not their ethos. They want to do an IPO, which once again, leaves a big void for the DAO version of OpenSea, the DeFi version of OpenSea, of which there are some. Uh, and so that's how the cookie crumbles, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Uh, mm-hmm. They are also hiring the Lyft CFO to become have the OpenSea hired, yeah. CFO. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, they have hired. Uh, and this CEO, I think, was um, pretty instrumental in getting Lyft over the finish line towards mm-hmm. IPO. So that's the direction they're going in. It's kind of the Coinbase direction. And I don't hate it, but to your point, David, it just le- leaves room for a more community-oriented competitor. So I expect to see that emerge too. Every niche will be filled in crypto. Don't worry, guys. Mm-hmm. It just takes some time. And every um, stocking will be stuffed by crypto <laughs> stuff. So this came out of the Wall Street Metaphorical journal. stocking. Yeah. Uh, uh, so crypto, NFTs, and tungsten cubes, a guide to giving cash in 2021 on the Wall Street Journal. And so the Wall Street Journal kind of wrote a very quick short article saying, hey, here's a bunch of like, uh, you know, Christmas gift ideas. Here's, you can you can give people some NFTs, you can give people crypto and also tungsten cubes. I guess they somehow love them. Like, like that is a physical thing that can go in your stocking. However, yeah. it'll probably uh, stretch your stocking out because they're really, really heavy. Uh, interesting to see this being part of Bloomberg. Are or, you at the excuse point, me, Wall Street Journal? Yeah, are you at the point where you'd give an NFT for Christmas to somebody, David? Okay, I did. I had uh, no because my family's probably tired of it. I have given uh, <laughs> your sister. I, I, give it to your sister. Yeah, she she doesn't want it. She doesn't <laughs> want it. Uh, I have given an NFT as a gift before, and let me tell you, onboarding people by giving them crypto, either with money or NFTs really really works like a lot of the objections that people have just go out the door when they just own the damn things so like if you ever really want to get somebody into crypto just give them something like it'll, it'll work i promise but you don't you, you don't have anyone on your list who's like because m- my thing is uh a lot of my family are people on my christmas shopping list like they just wouldn't appreciate it right sure. they'd appreciate it maybe as like a free bonus gift mm-hmm. but if i'm like this is the thing i bought you for christmas Right. You know, it's an NFT. You can look at right. it on your... They'd be like, oh, cool. Is that Thanks. really what they want? Yeah. yeah. No, you give people what they want, not what you think they need. Well, how, uh, how excited would you be to receive an NFT then? Uh, I mean, the last NFT I was gifted was a cool cat, and it went from like 0.02 ETH at the time of ownership <laughs> to cool. 2 ETH, and then that's when I gave it away, and then I watched it go from 2 ETH to like 15 ETH. I'm like, hmm, shit. Um, <laughs> I, I will say, if you it's do plan on giving NFTs or, or crypto to someone during Christmas, make sure that you retain a copy of their private keys because they will probably lose them. So okay, do them a favor and do, be David. their custodian. You just want to do with our small bankless team, we should do an mm-hmm. NFT secret Santa. And somebody should write the app so we could just all buy uh, NFTs for me, you know, for each other anonymously, Secret Santa style. Maybe someone will do that. A little I, holiday I, fun. Ryan, I don't want your turtle. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you saw right through that. It's not even working on you. I guess we've been podcasting together too long, huh? The Matrix, they just sold out. So The Matrix had uh, is releasing a new movie. I'm excited to see it. 100,000 unique PFP. ERC-721 NFTs were put up for sale to celebrate the, the Matrix, and it's all sold out. 100,000! 100,000, that is crazy. Yeah. That's so many. Look at this. Uh, and this is all on a side chain, right? So mm-hmm. um, people don't have to pay for gas fees, of course, which makes onboarding easy. Um, 
I don't know. Are people buying to speculate? Do you think? Or are these a lot of fans? Are these I have insiders? No clue. Like, what is going on? Huh? Yeah. You so can buy it with a credit card. Yeah, the big takeaways are there was a hundred thousand of them. For reference, there's only ten thousand CryptoPunks. There's uh, like eight thousand eight hundred eighty-eight Cool Cats. I think there's ten thousand Bored Apes. A hundred thousand is a lot of people. You could buy these with a credit card, uh, so that just is you know great consumer adoption. Uh, and you can buy them on a secondary market that is on the Palm sidechain, which is an Ethereum sidechain. I think spun up by Consensus. Uh, and they're also denominated in Dai. So I'm seeing a lot of like hybrid. Denominated stuff here. in like, Dai. That's yeah. Great. You, like you can buy it with a credit card, but when you resell it, you resell it in Dai. Uh, so like this is really doing a great job of meeting consumers where they want to be. First, it's uh, you know the Matrix, a very uh, well known movie. These are them. Movie. Okay. Yeah, and you know, again, buy them with a credit card. So you don't need crypto, and then you have a NFTs. Uh, and I bet I bet you they obfuscate gas. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but I bet you they do. Uh, and like these things are done denominated in dollars on the front page, so it's like dollar sign one hundred and twenty, even though it's denominated in Dai, because you can do that. So like it's really just a perfect meeting in the middle of like just enough crypto, but still a lot of just like consumer like UX that that consumers are prepared to expect. There you go. These are selling for like 130 on the floor. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what makes these things matrix NFTs. Granted, I haven't seen the movie, but these are just like normal people. These are just these are just people. Yeah, you're not seeing. I'm, I'm sure there's some better ones up. If we go up the pay scale, I'm sure like there's probably Neo somewhere in here, right? He's got to be the the rarest. Who knows? I haven't looked at this in no depth, clue. but pretty no cool clue. look. Every every mm -hmm. game studio is doing this. So is every mm -hmm. brand. Adidas just mm -hmm. entered the metaverse. They bought a bored ape yacht club NFT. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And yeah. And then they dress them up in Adidas swag. So the Adidas swag is, is not part of the OG board ape. So they kind of drew that art on, but the ape is real. Uh, they've also been collaborating with uh, G Money, who was just through the Metaverso conference that I was at. And so uh, Adidas taking NFTs seriously and go getting right into it. That's awesome. Yeah. CryptoPunk mm -hmm. purchases, NFT purchases. Now Pepsi getting into NFTs. Pepsi mic drop. They're rolling out an NFT collection. A micro, Did they beat Coke mic to this? microphone NFTs. Like the oh, NFTs that's are that's the microphones. Yeah, so they are dropping the microphones, uh, and so it's like <laughs> you know generative, you know profile picture NFTs, and they're microphones, uh, like the 50 style. So that's that's kind of cool. Uh, so the this got announced literally as Ryan was pulling up the links for this. I saw this on Twitter, and so we we last minute buzzer beater threw this into the agenda. The wait list for this opens tomorrow, as in today day on Friday for the for you listeners tomorrow the time of recording today for you the listener right now uh, and so you can join the waitlist for this uh, and get the mic drop Pepsi and if on the waitlist for the mic drop you, Pepsi you sound NFT. excited for this uh, are you excited for this uh, sure like, like I, I'm not gonna put too much ETH into this but like I'll, I'll be a part of this for like really I, I do not want a microphone NFT but like I don't know it's Pepsi <laughs> Yeah, no, it's cool. And I guess they beat Coke to this. We haven't yeah. seen anything with Coke. On the other hand, I'm a little bit worried with these company, these large corporations and brands entering. This is kind of a top marker no, for at least don't the, say it. the PFP, don't so. we, the 10K we, PFP. Can say, we can say a top every single week. It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> there, there is no top. There's no, I, 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 I don't know, though. I, I do feel like on the back of our Kevin uh, Rose podcast, where we talked a lot about like, hey, there are a lot of PFP projects spinning up, right? There's CryptoPunks and Bored Apes and some of the blue chips, but there's a whole slew of long tail and it's getting crowded up there. I don't know. 
see what the appetite is, but oh, the, all the Matrix NFTs sold. This one's really cool. Uh, this is in geekwire.com. Tech entrepreneurs opening Seattle NFT museum. Ryan, can you scroll up? Because I'm reading the headline. Uh, oh, to sorry. showcase digital art form in a physical space. We're getting our first physical NFT museum. It's in Seattle. I think that's really cool. So when I go home, well, it's not going to open until mid-January. Uh, 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 but next time I'm in Seattle, after it opens, I'm totally going to go check it out. It's a digital art museum. Uh, and so kind of like I was talking about on the State of the Nation that came out uh, yesterday, uh, the world of displaying NFTs is pretty nascent and needs a lot of maturity and development. And so I'm really excited to see what they got in show. A, a physical museum, a, a physical space with NFTs. And that's really, really cool. I expect that we see more and more of these as NFTs mature. I'll be, uh, do you visit museums? Do you visit regular museums very often? Sure, yeah, totally. When, when they suit my yeah. interests, 100%. I, I, I love a good museum, particularly yeah. like a good history or art yeah, museum. Big history, uh, yeah. History yeah, museums really cool. for sure. NFT museums, man, they're yeah. coming. Okay, uh, what's this yeah. from Blau? Real quick, Blau, we've had him on the show two times, uh, and he has just uh, had his first Christie's auction issuing Waveform. This is a physical piece of art, so this is not an NFT. Um, uh, well, it's actually both. No, it's, it's, it's both. It's a physical piece of art. It's a, it's a waveform. So if you've ever recorded audio, you see that waveform show up. Uh, it makes sense because Blau's an artist, so he's you know, editing music. Uh, and so it's a one-of-one one NFT produced by Blau that grants 100% of the rights to the owner of the waveform. So yes, it is an NFT. Uh, there's master recording, publishing rights, entitled to reproduce, commercialize, edit, remix, rename, and release waveform or any derivative of waveform master uh, and uh, from, the, from the beat's original form. So like you get the OG uh, content and then you also get to remix it and sell all possible rights ever. So you get full sovereignty as the owner. The auction ends on December 7th at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, no, that it already ended. Pardon, it already we, ended. we already sold it. Um, Three days ago, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, congratulations to whoever bought this. And again, congratulations to Blau for f pushing the frontier and the fringes of what it means to sell an NFT and also in connection to the actual artist. Um, so really, really cool. This is kind of cool, right? Because he issued it on his uh, his platform which mm -hmm. uh, called Royal, which um, contains NFT rights. Mm -hmm. I was just listening to this a little bit in the, in the background as you were talking, David. It's pr a pretty sweet jam. Nice. You could, you could make nice. a good podcast intro. Nice. You know, ours is taken. Ours well, is perfect, we, we can't but... buy it because somebody already bought it. That's true. Well, you could always buy it secondary, yeah, you know, sure. just at a markup, sure. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> All right, what's uh we're what's into going on Bitcoin here? news. Okay, so oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so uh Bitcoiners were really really bullish in November because a plan B stock to flow model predicted 100,000k to happen by by December or 98,000. Uh, no and, way, I didn't realize that yeah, by so, December. Yeah, so in order for for plan B's famous stock to flow uh model uh stock to flow. This is this is Bitcoin canonical. This is like, this oh, yeah. is very important in Bitcoin circles, right? Because yes. I mean, it has been right for, for the, forever. The model since has it was been accurate, right? A lot of people think uh, stock to flow is just complete nonsense, and I find myself in that category. Basically, stock to flow is saying that supply creates the price. Uh, and so it's basically saying scarcity will create price. Uh, and so because Bitcoin is becoming more scarce, therefore price will go up. I think that's completely backwards. A lot of people agree with me. A lot of uh, people support this model anyways because of the immaculate nature of Bitcoin. This manifest destiny to just go up in price. Uh, and so this is like, this is the gospel of the Bitcoin stock to flow like model. Uh, and it was supposed to hit $98,000 by the end of uh, December. 
uh, by the end of November. But instead of going to that level, we are seeing Bitcoin covering in the 40, high 40s, low 50s. And it, people really capitulated right when Bitcoin went from like 57,000 down to 47,000 inside of an hour when it was supposed to go from 57 to $98,000. Uh, and so uh, this is the first miss of the model. And, and I kind of think like in a, uh, uh, Raul Paul says like the reason why stock to flow has been so accurate is because it's accidentally mapping on to network growth, network adoption. Uh, yeah. you know, it's a logarithmic. It's a it's proxy a, it's an for network adoption, yes. basically. Yeah, it's like, yes, it's an exponential curve. But no, you don't just get to create scarcity and then have that create price. Uh, and so uh, a lot well, of Bitcoin, a lot of Bitcoiners feel shaken right now. There's a there was a. Uh, uh, Bitcoin Magazine and, and CK from there was, uh, hosted a, a Twitter Spaces saying we are in uncharted territory, as in like, oh, stock to flow finally hasn't predicted anything. And I'm like, yeah, come on, guys, like stock to flow is fucking stupid. Sorry. Well, so like, okay, so uh, this might be rejected in Bitcoin canon, then Bitcoin maximalist canon, right? Or or maybe there's a way to like tweak it and sure. you know adopt it so like make a new model know, in the future. It was like always oh, right. Mm -hmm. We just with this one tweak we missed the first time around. I, I'm not sure how the culture is going to kind of evolve it, but to, to me, it just seems like the, the, the fundamental idea that supply would predict price is wrong because right. like from an economics perspective, it's, it's a cart leading the horse. It's, it's supply and demand is where you mm -hmm. get price. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if you don't know the demand function, right, like you don't know where demand intersects with supply, how can you possibly get to price? There's two sides to that equation. If all you're looking at is supply and saying that somehow triggers demand, you're just looking at it's like a you know, having a pair of scissors and just removing one blade and trying to like cut with the other blade of scissors. Like you need both blades of scissors to get to price. Supply mm -hmm. and demand, two blades. I don't understand how that works. Um but you know, Bitcoiners will figure it out. Yep. I Bitcoin's still gonna go up. I'm still bullish Bitcoin. Just uh, I just not ne never not really understood that model. Bullish. Yeah, mm -hmm. never understood that model. It it, it seemed like there was a lot of um, hope pinned yes. on yes <laughs> one tiny one tiny perspective here. Mm -hmm. um, strategy's got a lot of hope. Meanwhile, yeah, yeah. MicroStrategy uh, bought eighty two point four million dollars more of Bitcoin. Uh, one thousand four hundred thirty four more Bitcoin. Like can't stop. It's, Won't stop. I, it's at this point. I, it's just kind of like I start to cringe every time I see it. Really? Yeah, it's just I too much Bitcoin. Yeah, of course it's gonna pay. Do something else with off, your man. money. <laughs> you you already have a, a, like half a percent of the Bitcoins. Like, why do you? Well, need you know, more? part of it is part of it is like most people when they dollar cost average in, it's like quietly, right? You're not like making a big production yeah. of it. But MicroStrategy and Sailor's like, I bought this week, yeah. and like it's uh -huh. blasted on the press everywhere, so everyone knows it. Well, actually, well, they don't actually blast the press. This is the this is the the block and all the crypto media firms. It's pay, true. Paying it's crypto media that it, picks right. it up. And so, like, yeah, we report on it every single week. So, actually, we're the victims here. Maybe we. Yeah. Should, okay. So maybe we're we, causing we, this. Excuse me. Yeah, we're not the cause. We, we are the causes of this. Maybe we should stop we're talking about it. Yeah. 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 Well, apologies to uh, to our listeners, but you know, we're trying to find Bitcoin stuff to talk about. So, <laughs> sailors, sailors buying the Rip. you know the dip, I guess. Uh -huh. Uh, let's talk about this. This is big. U.S. House Committee, they brought six crypto CEOs in front of Congress. One of them was SBF, who we were talking about earlier. Uh, this is uh, in front of the House, I believe. Yeah, the House Committee. Mm -hmm. So, look, it's a full video here. People can watch it if they have time. We'll include a link in the show notes. You can watch it on YouTube. It's four and a half hours, all right? Yeah, uh -huh. I did not watch all four and a half hours. 
I don't think it's worth it either. There's there's pl- plenty of quick TLDRs, and we'll try and okay. give them to you right well, let's here. Let's give them the TLDRs. Yeah. Um, guy you go for TLDRs, Jake Dravinsky, what's he saying about this? Yeah, Jake tweets out, today's House Finance Senate Committee, uh, I, uh, I think that's what that means, uh, yes. was the most positive, constructive, constructive, and bipartisan public event on crypto I've ever seen in Congress, ever. I mean what? that literally. It is a testament to the effectiveness of the industry and the community engagement in DC in recent months. We've made shockingly big progress. He's got some follow-up tweets as well. Um, if you want to scroll That's down. That's huge it. though. Mm-hmm. So like something bullish, did Jake, you know, Jake is kind of a straight shooter, right? He's a so pre- very call pragmatic, it bearish, very real. Very pragmatic. Yeah. And for him to be coming out of this four and a half hours, mm-hmm. I guess I'm sure he consumed all of it, positively like, constructive mm-hmm. was his words bipartisan public event on crypto the best he's ever seen literally that's awesome mm-hmm. something good must have happened i think part of this is it's some co- some people members of congress actually coming to the defense of crypto mm-hmm. actually understanding it for the first time so in previous sessions that i've watched dave and this is part of the reason i didn't watch this whole thing is because I've, i feel like i've seen this show a hundred times and I just don't want to watch it again. But previously what you'd see is a lot of staunch uh, critics of crypto, right? Like the Brad Sherman's of the world, which we talk about like harping on how terrible crypto is, how how dumb it is, how stupid it is, how it's, you know, you know, terrorism linked and just money laundering and drugs and all of these things. And then everyone else kind of just sitting back and listening. Mm-hmm. There, there were no defenders. No one was like, hey, wait a second. Here's the here are the good things that crypto is doing now here's a congressman from ohio tweeting this out today we have a hearing on digital assets and blockchain web3 there's that word again the bulk of commentary in congress has been on individual assets and relating to the traditional finance world this misses the bigger picture entirely fundamentally web3 is a computing revolution that has the potential to solve some of the internet's most frustrating problems by putting power directly in the hands of the builders and users who make it all possible quotes a chris dixon tweet web3 is the internet owned by builders That's what chris dixon said the potential of web3 is enormous and the biggest mistake we could make now is rushing to overregulate a space that is in its infancy and so very true uh, so very few in Washington truly understand. So well you, said. Li- listeners have heard that a thousand times on Bankless. This is what we <laughs> yes. preach. This is what we bang the drum on. So many people heard that for the first time because a congressman said it. Like not one of us, a leader in this space. And so like, yeah, maybe that was just like basic, like, you know, a summary of the principles of what we talk about. But so many people like it mean it hits differently when a House of Representatives member says this and it says it in the right ways and in accurate ways. That is just fantastic. And you see the tweak? It's uh, less on the crypto's money narrative and more on the Web3 narrative yeah. that gets mm-hmm. a, a different cohort. I'm also right. seeing kind of the, the lobby narrative efforts of crypto actually paying off uh-huh. as well. Like lots going on behind the scenes, I think, to make th- these kinds of statements um, possible. Here's another take from Jake, that, though, when someone asked him, hey, in 20 words, Jake, what actually happened here? He said, the committee members said surprisingly supportive things and asked good questions. The witnesses were great, too. Also, Brad Sherman was there. Mm-hmm. Brad Sherman strikes again. 
This is crazy. What was Brad Sherman on about uh, during during this uh, during this session, David? A few things here. Here's a tweet. Why don't you read it out? Yeah, Brad Sherman was trying to, I think, make a farce of crypto. Uh, and there's plenty of things to make a farce about. Like Ryan and I make a farce about farces about crypto all the time. Crypto's it, stupid yeah. a, lot a lot of, of the time. A lot of the time, crypto's really really dumb. Uh, and so this came, comes out of Blockwork, summarizing what Brad Sherman said today when testifying during Congress. Representative Brad Sherman said that Doge could potentially replace Ethereum and Hamstercoin could potentially replace <laughs> Doge. He also asked, what about Mongoose Coin? As a result of this, Hamstercoin is up 66%. Mongoose Coin token was created. So Brad Sherman just tried to tried to say like, oh, this there's a bunch of just like craziness going on. It's totally fake. It's just weird memes. It's just like memes and tokens. And like, why, why are we even talking about this? And so he's just tried to make a farce of the whole entire industry to just discredit and discount us and my response yeah. to that is like all right brad like if we're a, a farce why are we talking then stop talking about it man it's just a farce <laughs> yeah. like why are we talking about it stop bringing it up like whatever yeah just ignore it yeah then. you could just ignore it why, right? why are you wasting your breath exactly mm -hmm. why are we literally having a committee meeting in congress about this if it's just a complete yeah. farce right? just go just go home brad like why do you if what you don't need to defend mongoose coin if it really is a joke unless you're really threatened by mongoose coin brad mm. yeah maybe you are Maybe Jake, that's what's going on. Jake Stravinsky follows up saying a short break in today's otherwise extremely supportive House Finance Senate Committee hearing for Brad Sherman to ramble incoherently about his hatred for crypto and remind us that he has a primary challenge in next year's midterm election from our friend and fellow Bitcoiner and crypto supporter Akita Rhodes. Uh, so let's see if we can get Akita. Uh, we, we will get to uh, Akita's Twitter handle into the show notes. Go follow her. We're going to support her and her election so she can get Brad Sherman and Mongoose coin conversations out of Congress and perhaps some more informed and more accepting versions of Web3. Uh, and so uh, where where is Akita Rhodes? Uh, what does she represent? What, what uh, state or city? Uh, she, let's see. Uh, 30th District. Let's see. Um, California. Yeah, 30th congressional district in 2022 in california okay so if you live in california and you are voting in california uh vote for akita Rhodes for the 30th district san fernando valley so if you are listening that and that is and she is your representative uh please participate if you can do one thing when it comes to voting just at least vote for her absolutely maybe that's why brad is feeling a little threatened uh jake Good. at the end kind of summarizes this all it was great but let's not get too carried away. He says, I don't want us to get too carried away by how well yesterday's hearing went. The House Financial Services, that's what it stands for, David. House Financial ah, Services, not Senate. They've come a long way, but it's not like our antagonists have just disappeared. Senate Banking has a hearing on stablecoins next Tuesday. Fair warning, it may not be so friendly. I think that's the case. I think there is some regulation coming for stablecoins. That's, that's a key area. And uh, I can, so I'm completely fine with that too. Stablecoins, I'm fine with stablecoin regulation. That's fine if with me. If it's centralized, it deserves to be yes. regulated. Yep. That's right? exactly right. So, but I'm just like, don't apply the same rules to something that's right. centralized and decentralized. Right. Anyway, look, man, Congress, it's 2021. Congress is maybe starting to get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's starting. I think that's the efforts of this community. Efforts like people like Jake. If you've ever donated in any of these like uh, grants for uh, political advocacy for crypto, then you've played a role too. If you've ever called your senator or, or Congress, then you've played a role in all of this too. Uh, David, let's Over, through uh, overall, some of the other I will summarize that whole entire thing as yeah, a, summarize the a summary. cautious W. Cautious, yeah. It's a cautious win. 
and we don't get many W's. Yes, that's it's a even huge of the cautious step up. kind. Yeah, yeah. In Congress. Uh -huh. yeah. It doesn't happen. Uh -huh. it doesn't happen. Now we got to work on the Biden administration. Anyway, Gemini is partnering with Colombia's biggest bank for crypto trading. This is pretty good news. Big news. The partnership will allow Ban Colombia customers to trade a number of popular cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, ETH, and Litecoin. Mm -hmm. Traditional crypto banks, crypto exchanges, getting into traditional banks and doing it a jurisdiction at a time. Pretty cool to see. Yep. Uh, countries getting crypto pilled. Let's do this. Thank you. Thank <laughs> yeah. you, Winklevite Twin, for helping uh, crypto pill the country of Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're working on it. Meta. Uh, this is Facebook. I always forget when someone says Meta. So right. Meta's crypto wallet, just uh, formerly known as Facebook, Novi, just launched on WhatsApp. Why is that a big deal? Yeah, it's, it's a big deal because in stark contrast to all the lack of progress on the Libra front, it seems that Meta is actually making progress on the Metaverse front. Uh, crypto wallets now in WhatsApp. WhatsApp has like a billion users or something like that, something absolutely crazy. Uh, and so they, there's now crypto there. Uh, and so progress actually happening this time in stark contrast with Libra. There we go. Guys, we are going to be back with the takes of the week. You don't want to miss them. You don't want to miss the meme of the week. It's a good one. And neither do you want to miss the moment of Zen. But before we get to all of those great things, we got to stop and tell you about the fantastic sponsors that made this show possible. The Aave protocol is a decentralized liquidity protocol on Ethereum, which allows users to supply and borrow certain crypto assets. Aave version two has a ton of cool features that makes using the Aave protocol even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi money Legos, yield, and composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can supply to the protocol in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have supplied collateral. Here you can see me borrowing 200 USDC against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens in ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock in that interest rate in permanently. V2 also features the ability for users to swap collateral without having to withdraw their assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. With Aave, users can do this in one seamless transaction, saving you time and gas costs. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid DAI markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, guys, we are back with the takes of the week. The first one from Naval, who's my favorite, one of my favorites on, on 
Twitter. When building a portfolio of investing uh, investments that can have non-linear outcomes, never sell early. You may be right most of the time, but the one time you're wrong will cost you most of the returns. Okay. When building a portfolio of investments that can have non-linear outcomes, never sell early because the time you're wrong will cost you. What do you think he's saying here? Well, I think his follow-up tweet is really uh, helpful as well because not selling can actually be really, really toxic, right? Like you can not sell while something goes to zero. And so he follows up saying, valid reasons for selling. You've completely lost faith in the project. You can redeploy into a better investment. Uh, it accounts for too much of your net worth. You have a personal uh, expenditure to make, right? So like trying to be pragmatic about the things. But what Naval is saying- You wanna buy a house, you wanna right. pay off student loans, something like this, right? Right, and, and so what Naval is saying is, like, especially in the world of crypto, where exponential returns are actually commonplace, humans don't think in exponentials, we think in linear terms, we think in incremental returns, like this, especially the traditional stock market before it turned into basically a casino for, for traditional hedge funds, which is what it is now. It used to be like very modest, five to 7%, so a, a good day would be 0.1%, like let's not get too crazy. Crypto comes along and Bitcoin goes from zero to $60,000 in 10 years, uh, and Ethereum does that same, like, same movement in half the time, or not the same movement, half the movement in a quarter of the time. Uh, and, and so like people, it just blo- it breaks people's brains. Exponentials break people's brains. So, so what Snowball is saying, when you are on the cusp of something that has the potential to do a thousand X, the worst thing that you can do is sell at a 10 X. Like even a 10X is crazy. And like the worst thing for a 10X is you can sell at a doubling and it goes all the way down the line. So if you really, really, really believe in something, why sell? And and so like, this is why I never sell ether because I, I'll sell all, like I will make the mistake of selling too early on a tokens that I could believe could a 10X or a 100X just because I also fear that I will get lose lose out on ether denominated returns. And so like two things are gonna 10X. There's, there's a difference <laughs> there, um, but like, when you have exponential returns, you have to leave some on the table. This is the only actual like trading advice I've ever heard Vitalik say, maybe not trading advice, but like inv- financial advice. He always says, don't sell everything. Always keep something on the table. And so I've, I've taken that to heart and that's definitely benefited me in the past where if something goes 10X, I don't sell all of it, I sell 90% and I leave 10% on the table. And that has treated me very, very well in the past. Yeah. That's the other thing you can do. Exactly right. You know, you don't have to sell all of it mm-hmm. if you do sell, right? But but I do think that the the way people lose money in crypto, the thing that costs them the most in crypto is two things: either they they don't get in early enough, they wait too long, right? If you're listening to this, it's probably not you. You're probably already in crypto. So the second mistake is the mistake you're more likely to make, which is you sell too early. Mm-hmm. You sell mm-hmm. the thing too early. And what we're talking about here is again things that are non-linear, which is almost all of crypto. Right. It's like, it's either going to the moon or it's like not gonna be worth anything. This right. thing either works out or it, it doesn't, completely unlike other assets that you're, used, that you're used to. And so the mistake that you're more likely to make is you sell for a 5X or 10X, thinking you did really well in one cycle, but long-term you kind of you kind of lose out. So <laughs> this is great advice. And I've gotten the habit of like never selling things. Mm-hmm like pretty close to that. Like mm-hmm. I very rarely sell things that I have high conviction about because you just don't know when they're mm-hmm. going to pop, right? Um, as long as I ask myself, hey, did my investment thesis for this asset change? Mm-hmm. The answer is no, just wait longer. Right. What do you have to lose, right? 
But if you lose to conviction, some of the reasons Deval was saying, then maybe those are reasons to sell. But you're going to lose a lot of money mm-hmm. in crypto by selling too early. And I think that's the takeaway here. It also uh, really, really helps to have actual conviction in the assets that you buy. That really helps oh, you, you have not to. selling. Yeah, uh-huh. You have to. And how do you develop conviction, David? Fundamentals. Do do you research and you pay attention to fundamentals because fundamentals are real. And then Absolutely. once the fundamentals are real, then you start making memes about them. Yeah. <laughs> it also takes time. Yeah. Like it takes time to develop conviction. You don't get conviction on mm-hmm. something overnight. It takes right. a lot of research, but also like time holding the asset. Mm-hmm. And all of this, why is this also good? It's good for your life too. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, it's life advice, okay? Right. Because then you can start to be zen yep. during these downturns. Yep. Oh, you know, ETH Bitcoin lost 20% whatever nice (laughs) what's 20 percent in the face of 100x (laughs) right yeah it's all temporary all right what's this take uh punk 1456 says eth flipping bitcoin won't be the end of this bull market it will be the beginning uh chills and so what we we talked a little bit about this last week uh and it it, the the shift around crypto will completely change the whole structure of crypto will change when eth is number when ethereum is number one because it's not just like bitcoin is just bitcoin ethereum is like web three there's so much to do on ethereum the optionality for doing anything is infinitely more like infinitely more than what than what it could be on bitcoin and so i think when when ethereum flipping bitcoin it flips bitcoin and you see that ethereum in that number one spot people will actually look into like i've always thought that bitcoin is pessimism about the future it's like the risk off crypto asset which is weird to think bitcoin is risk off but it really really is uh ethereum is the optimistic future as in like the the potential future and so you can mint tokens on ethereum you can do DAOs on ethereum you can do whatever you want on ethereum and that culture that that uh that just installation of values as the potential to have anything in the app layer, that being the number one thing and the top of the charts really sets the tone for the whole rest of the industry. Uh, and so just the, the surface but area you, for potential being number one, I think will completely redefine what it means to be crypto. Do you literally think that's the, the beginning of the bull market though? No, it's it's more of a, uh, yeah, if we're talking about specifically asset prices, I'm, I'm taking yeah. this on a little bit more of a- uh, Metaphorical, uh, I, I'm high bull, level. I'm bullish on all things crypto, inc- not net, yeah. and sometimes that's not just price, but more about potential, right? Uh, you know, just innovation, bullish on innovation. Uh, and so so maybe I'm taking this in, maybe in a different direction than Punk4156. Uh, That'd be really, really cool if that is the super cycle. If ETH flippins Bitcoin and then we continue <laughs> that, that to be. do another cycle, yeah, that would be pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, that that would be. I mean, we might see some big downturns between right. between now and then, but mm-hmm. yeah, so, link so to the li- listeners. Downturns means liquidations, folks. So don't get out over your ski tips. <laughs> Let's talk about this. I mm-hmm. thought this was a really good post by uh, our friend Packy McCormick, um, and it's really he talked. It's the concept of the Pareto frontier. Okay, so he he does two things on a graph. You've got one axis uh, and another axis, X and Y axis. And on one axis, you have money. On the other, fun. You have all of these dots. Mm -hmm. Work and leisure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So money is like stuff you have to do. And fun is like everything else. So he, Mm -hmm. I think he doesn't actually just mean like, you know, fun. It's more like, as, as you were saying, like fulfillment, leisure, all the other stuff that isn't incorporated in money. And he's basically, it's a gross simple oversimplification but human beings do things that optimize money and fun right and so he gives examples reading a sci-fi book that's a seven on fun it's a two on money reading a finance textbook that's a two on fun not very fun but it's six on money it's going to help you later in life 
to his job. You work in investment banking, 80, 90 hour weeks, that's a one on fun. But hell, you're getting paid for it. Mm-hmm. That's a nine on money, right? And he's always like, the things we decide to do are all of these dots. And what we're trying to do is get in kind of the dot that's closest to the Pareto efficient, closest to the top. You see that here. The, the, ma- the maximum for money number, and like, how do we find the 10 fun, 10 money? It's That's exactly. probably impossible, but you want to maximize both numbers as much as possible. Yep. And he's like, the 10, the 10 fun, 10 money, that's what we're all looking for. And if given the choice, we'd choose that over like a, a five fun, five money, obviously. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, so that's the Pareto frontier. That's how you define it. What does web two, what does web three do? Mm-hmm. Oh, it combines fun and money. So it moves the Pareto frontier up. Yep. So now rather than doing a 10 fun, 10 money type of activity, we could do a 15 fun and 15 money Ooh, activity. Those are bigger numbers. Right? I like that. We'd know more points because we're combining <laughs> fun and money. Right. And this is kind of like what I talked about, like even us doing this roll up. I was thinking to myself, you know, what is this? Right? Mm-hmm. It's just like it's money, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also fun. Right. It's pretty high on both scores. This is web and three. I, yeah. This is web three. This is crypto, right? It's like combining your interests, all the fun leisure stuff activities, all the hobbies that you'd be doing for free anyways, if you could, with money. Like people who are deeply invested down this rabbit hole tend to do really well and mm-hmm. are doing well. You've been a bankless listener for like the past two years. And it, if you've actually like gone down through this rabbit hole with us, uh, you're probably doing pretty well. Like it's probably worked out for you, mm-hmm. right? And you've had fun while you're doing it. Hopefully. So yeah. I really like this analogy. There's more to this article, we'll include it in the show notes, but the optimization of money and fun that Web3 and crypto bring, I think, is the true revolution here. And w- what's this doing for humanity? Well, we're no longer stuck at 10 fun, 10 money. Now we get 15 fun, 15 money, 20 fun, 20 money, right? It's like better, mm-hmm. progress. Right. That's what this maps to. I wrote about this in my Future of Work article on Bankless when I talked about what it means to work for a DAO because DAOs are opt-in in multiple ways. You get to pick which DAO you want to work for and then inside of that DAO, you also get to pick how you contribute, right? And so we finally find ways where humans can labor in in ways that align with their human incentives, with their human values. Pick which DAO is the most fun, pick which work is the most fun inside of that DAO, get paid for your contributions. Uh, and so the future of work is just more fun. That's great. That's great news. I love it. <laughs> that's great that's news. Good news to yeah. you. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, here's a take, Eric Voorhees, our friend. Own Ethereum because it moves fast. Own Bitcoin because it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I've heard this a lot. I think this is really emblematic of when Eric came into crypto. And so the, the meme here is that Bitcoiners crit- criticize Ethereum because it moves fast and break things. Uh, and then Ethereum's criticize Bitcoin because it doesn't move at all. Uh, and so while like I actually disagree with both of these things, Ethereum moves really, really slow. Uh, and like we can see that in the fact that we all thought proof of stake and sharding was going to come in 2018 and now it's 20, the end of 2021, 2022. We have proof of stake kind of, but it's on a different chain and we don't even have any sharding. Uh, and so like it's, it's weird that uh, Bitcoiners criticize Ethereum for moving fast and breaking things and then also that they never, ever ship any actual of the promises. Right. Like and so. But, but the things you talked about, David, that's lightning speed for Bitcoin. Dude, like all, right. everything you just rattle off, mm-hmm. they're like, oh my God, that's so fast. Right. 
And so Eric says like Bitcoin, it's, it's a rock. It doesn't do anything. It's going to be the same Bitcoin in 2010 and 2020 and 2030. And that's the investment thesis behind Bitcoin. It's stable. It's going to be exactly what it promises you in, in whatever time frames. And Ethereans are like, I'm sorry, but that's unsustainable because the way that Bitcoin is built is long term unsustainable because of the security budget and, and, and all that stuff. You have to actually move forward at least a little bit. And meanwhile, uh, like Ethereum, Ethereum doesn't move fast at all. The governance process for Ethereum is so slow. Developer consensus is very, very methodical and very, very secure. We are the slowest moving blockchain. And except for the fact that Bitcoin is the only difference and that's one standing still. You know what's moving fast and breaking things? Both Avalanche and Solana, which have actually gone down because they go too fast. That's too fast. That is too fast. Ethereum is in the perfect Goldilocks zone of moving forward, but not getting out over the ski tips. Bitcoin is standing still, and that will be the death of it. And if you go too fast, then you're too centralized. Uh, and so I actually, I actually probably would have agreed with this take uh, as written mm -hmm. in 2018, 2019. Sure. A lot more than I do now. Yes, right. Because I think um, at that time, there was so much uncertainty in Ethereum's future mm -hmm. that I now see like much more certain. Right. And so the, the, the idea of holding Bitcoin in case Ethereum fails was kind of a good mm -hmm. value proposition then. Right. But Ethereum has come so much further since mm -hmm. then, right? Proven Shipping itself, the beacon yeah. chain, EIP-1559, you know, the roll-up strategy is actually working that I feel like this no longer... You, I'm at the place where I feel like you you need a lot less Bitcoin to provide redundant, like to provide mm -hmm. a hedge against mm -hmm. uh, Ethereum failing, Ethereum execution risk. Remember that conversation we had with Preston uh, Pish right. just a few months ago? And he was very... Like why why do I why do I prefer Bitcoin so much over ETH? Why do I shun ETH? Why do I right. execution risk? He right. kept going back, which is, is I, I like, love that excuse because the more people that say they don't buy Ethereum because of execution risk, just means that they're all going to be buying Ether after uh, a sharding and proof of stake ships, which means those people are going to be buying Ether at ten thousand dollars, which is how we're going to twenty thousand dollars. I guess right. Mm -hmm. So much execution risk has just been boiled out, and so much you know, there's not that much execution yeah. list. Right. risk left at least from my perspective maybe 100%. you and i are kind of living in too mm -hmm. much in the theorem land though i don't know um i think that's it man that let's it. get to uh what you're excited about this week what are you excited about david uh, this one's a little bit retroactive but also looking forward into the future i've spending time at metaverso metaverso is a really cool conference because it's specifically a very core group of people that really understand crypto, right? Like there's a lot of people at like mainnet. Mainnet was huge. It brought on a lot of people that were brand new to the space. And like I'm talking to them and they, they asked me like, oh, like what do you think about DeFi? And what do you think about NFTs? And I'm like, oh, come on guys. I go to the Metaverso <laughs> conference and like people are talking about these cool new experiments, these brand new artists, these new concepts, new solutions. And people at Metaverso understand it. They get it, right? Like, so props, props to G Money and Serotonin and, and all, the, all the people that helped through through the, the Metaverso event. And I also felt the same vibe at MCON in, uh, in Denver, right before mainnet, right? Very core group of people who are really on the fringes. And a lot of the same people that were at MCON were also at Metaverso. And so what I'm really excited about, Ryan, is that there is just this very core group of people that travel around the world for all these different conferences. 
and we all vibe together. And it's just like this digital group of nomads that don't really actually, there isn't actually one spot that we meet up at. We just meet up all, all, all over the world. And so very, I feel very uh, privileged to have this group of people that I resonate with in different corners of the world. They all get it. Uh, and so if you want to, if you are interested in tapping into this energy, I predict that the next time this group of people all get together and people flow in and out, there isn't actually like a curated list of who these people are, but it's more about the installations of the vibes that these conferences attract. I think the next conference that's going to attract this kind of energy is ETH Denver. Uh, so I guess the answer my, of what I'm excited about, Ryan, is I'm really excited for ETH Denver. It's coming up in the third week of February. Um, it's where I got into crypto in the first time and just the, vi the vibes have always been good there. And so I'm looking forward to one more round of good vibes at Denver. Make sure you print out some articles and pass them out there, David. <laughs> I don't think the listeners know that reference. <laughs> that, that's David's original ETH Denver story, guys. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, story for another time. But mm -hmm. your first ETH Denver, as I recall, David, you were mm -hmm. actually like, you, you printed out an article that you wrote. You're really excited about Three of actually Three handing of out physical yeah. copies of, of your articles yeah. to people like at the 20, conference. Yeah, I had like 20 pounds of paper in my backpack. I was like, hey, will you read this? Like, please give <laughs> me feedback. Awesome, yeah. man. Uh -huh. it's, it's a great superhero origin story, man. And uh, that, that was like two. 2018, right? So it's like three Febu years ago. February 2018. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. How far? How far crypto? It'll, it'll come? be four, four years ago. Come? It'll be four years ago when we do. Yeah, December. four years ago, of course, because mm -hmm. we're going into 2022. Incredible, mm -hmm. man. Incredible yeah. progress. What are you excited about, Ryan? Uh, look, I, can I be the guy who's excited about DeFi right now at a time when the DeFi narrative is like in the toilet? Okay, and. I'm not calling the bottom. Because you be called clear. the bottom. You called the bottom. <laughs> right. Ryan's calling the bottom. I, I, I'm calling the bottom without not without calling the bottom. Without, okay? without naming a number. I, look, man, I'm just like, uh, yeah, that's the safe way to do it, David. Because then <laughs> I, people I can't make graphs lesson. about you and memes about you. <laughs> um, I look, I'm looking on even just token terminal and the price to earnings ratios of these things, which is like the capital that you know these assets are generating relative to their value, the, the revenue that they're generating, are just so low. Look, Wiren. 7.45 PE ratio, okay? Uh, DYDX is 10. Axie Infinity, 12.4. MakerDAO, 18. Uh, McDex, MCDex, 24.52. I mean, these are priced as if they're like Procter & Gamble, okay? This is like General Electric PE ratio prices. And we're in DeFi, mm -hmm. like the fastest growing money system financial system that the world has ever seen and so i feel like it's only a matter of time before some of these things catch up and you know nfts at this time last year were like not a thing it was all about DeFi. everyone's talking crypto gets crypto gets obsessed with narratives and then they go overboard with it but like the time to make a buy, make a purchase, look at investing in something is when no one's talking about it. And I, I feel like the world is still pretty, is quiet right now on DeFi. This feels like NFTs from last year. Maybe DAOs are in a similar place, but I'm, I'm getting increasingly bullish on DeFi again. And I'll just remind folks that uh, layer two is gonna open up a whole new generation of DeFi protocols. So the other thing that might be true is the winners of the previous DeFi cycle might not be the winners of the next cycle. But think about DeFi as an asset category, because I'm thinking about it. I think there'll be a lot going on in DeFi in 2022. That's it. I not on the bottom. I definitely <laughs> agree with that. I think Ether needs to stop running up so aggressively in order for DeFi to turn around. And so- I don't want that to happen, We David. definitely don't want that to happen. So well, I think- Why I, can't I have both? If I, if I had my perfect future, Ether would run to point, uh, above 0.1 BTC, 
and and then maybe, maybe crab for a while there just to not get out over our ski tips and then DeFi makes a big move that's that's my perfect version of the future are you ready to make a prediction on no. that future david shut up give me shut some up. numbers give me some- <laughs> I, I would like to say that like i made the mistake of being wait like making a call that i did not really have too much conviction in just but because- at least you made the call is what you're about call. to say right yeah sure it's true it's yeah. true it takes courage to do that remember raul paul uh, yeah i, I will not be doing that again. on the podcast <laughs> But Raul Paul, he made the, what, what did he say? You're in prediction. This was like four or five months ago when we had mm-hmm. him on the podcast. He said like, uh, do you say 30K ETH? Something 30? High. Something high. I'll go back and look. See, people forget. So sometimes you could be safe about these predictions because people will just forget them. Yeah, we bring it up place. every single week. We don't, <laughs> we don't forget it. <laughs> I just need to, I need to strip it from the agenda. <laughs> yeah, strip it from the agenda in my memory, but mm-hmm. like we'll stop talking about it eventually. Uh, David, meme of the week. Let's get to it, man. Here what is go. this? What are we looking at? Uh, parking signs? Yeah, we're What's looking this? at parking signs. Yeah. Uh, Raj Gokal says, attempting to access wealth generating capital markets as a non-accredited US investor. And so we have a, a parking sign, like, st- uh, st- like pole with a bunch of parking signs on it. And so here's the first one. No parking, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Street cleaning. <laughs> Toeways on school days, no stopping, 7.30 to 4, Monday through Friday. School day exceptions, 15 minutes, Monday through Friday, 7.30 a.m. to 8 p.m. school business. Toeway school days, one hour parking, uh, time some some other times. District permits exempt number four. Toeway zones, one hour parking, non-school days, Friday from Sunday to 12, from Friday to 6, Not blah, 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 blah. A bunch of, so like the idea is like, here's how you like make sure that you compliantly invest in stuff follow this like litany of regulations and then it's impossible and then you can invest yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) absolutely and you know raj should know raj is one of the uh the co-founders of solana of course and Mm -hmm. they did their their crowd sale uh or their their Uh, their funding rather uh, so they they benefited from getting through this regulatory gamut huh well they did they did it for accredited investors and here's the thing about solana is like i don't it's not their fault. It's not their fault. It's honestly not their fault. It does matter, right? but it's not their fault. It does it does matter, but it's not their fault. It's mm-hmm. the SEC. It's the accredited investor laws that basically said if you have a million dollars and you're rich, you have access to a whole set of investments. The cool ones. That <laughs> dumb poor people can't. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. By poor, I'm saying like people with less than a million dollars in assets. These are our accredited investor laws on the books. Anyway, we're getting all serious, and it's meme of the week time. But like, yeah. I hate accredited hey, investor laws. Memes are very, very serious, Ryan. Or at least the they best are. Ones they are. are serious. This they is a serious, serious meme. Serious so, meme. Uh, down with accredited investor laws. Yep, guys, mm-hmm. that's it. None of this has been financial advice. Of course, it never is. ETH is risky. Bitcoin is risky. DeFi is risky. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. And now here's your moment of zen. Crypto is culture. Crypto is a vibe. This is new and hip with all the money on one side. Crypto is culture. Crypto is a vibe. This is new and hip with all the money on one side. Bitcoin could be displaced by Ether. Ether could be displaced by Dodge. And then there's Cobra Coin. Coin do they cobra coin? Crypto is culture. Crypto is alive. This is new and hip with all the money on one side. Crypto is culture. Crypto is alive. This is new and hip with all the money on one side. 